0: Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly.
2: Hey, it's Canzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
3: Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Canzano's Baldface Truth.
2: My children will grow up fans of the San Francisco 49ers. Like it or not, that's the fate that they face growing up in this household. It's true. I have no no disrespect to the Seahawks fans because I suspect some of you grew up as Seahawks fans only because A, maybe somebody in your family force-fed them on you, or B, the television networks themselves force-fed the Seahawks on you. But I heard Jim Rome and Dan Patrick both kind of talking wistfully about the Los Angeles Chargers today. Justin Herbert and the Chargers lost on Monday Night Football. It was a rare bad game for Herbert, ending uh, really with an interception as he had a chance to drive his team down to tie the game or maybe win the game. And uh, in the end, it got me thinking, like, like, Jim Rome talking about his own household as a Chargers household. Maybe your household flies a flag out in front. Maybe your neighbors know that you're a Beaver household or a Duck household or a Chargers household or a Seahawks household. Or maybe you're a house divided. I saw a sign at College Game Day last weekend as Oregon was in town in Seattle to play Washington, and we all know how that turned out. But there was a student who was holding a sign, saying that uh, she went to the University of Oregon to piss her dad off, and uh, we saw a lot of that. And I've seen when there's a Civil War football game, there'll be there'll be fans who will walk around, you know, with a uh, a t-shirt that is half a duck and half a beaver, or a hat that is that way. And Steph Curry's parents, remember Steph Curry's parents when. When Seth Curry was playing for the Blazers and Steph Curry was playing for the Warriors, I remember um, Steph Curry's mother and father wearing like a jersey that they had cut in half and they had sewed it into a half Blazer, half Warrior jersey so that they were uh, seemingly impartial in how they rooted. Um, You know, your household, does it have an allegiance is it a Blazers household? Is it a Ducks household? Is it a Beavers household? And and how does that work with your kids? If they don't get on board with what you're rooting for, or your significant other maybe attended a different school than you did or roots differently than you do, how does that all go down in your household? It occurred to me last Sunday, or I guess two Sundays ago, when the Niners were playing the Dallas Cowboys, that my nine-year-old daughter, who's a football fan, her first team that she really was drawn to was the Dallas Cowboys. And she was drawn to them because of the star on their helmet and what little kid, four or five, six years old, doesn't like the Cowboys. And I had to talk her out of that, and she told me as she was watching the Niners and the Cowboys, she was like, this is really hard. These are my two favorite teams. And I was like, you can't have two favorite teams, child. Like, let me put my arm around you and educate you here. On the fact of, you know, you can't have two favorite NFL teams. You can have a rooting interest, but you can't have two favorites. This isn't like, you know, picking uh, you know your favorite restaurant. And, it, and, in fact, you can't be fans of both the Dallas Cowboys and the 49ers. That doesn't work. That's one that doesn't work. Like, you could be a fan of, like, the Oakland Raiders back in the day and the 49ers. You could say, I support the Bay Area. Like, I would understand that. But you can't say that America's team is your second favorite team and then the other team who really doesn't like the Dallas Cowboys is your first favorite team that's like that's a person who's conflicted and so I saved her and I said listen you're not a fan of the Dallas Cowboys you live in this house you're a fan of the 49ers she acknowledged she's a fan of the 49ers at least she told me that and on we moved but I want to know what uh, what is your household about is it a uh, is it a Chargers house Is it a duck's house? Is it a beaver's house? And how are things going, by the way, along that front? Because Oregon and Oregon State, if you are a duck house or a beaver house, coming off very different weekends with Oregon struggling to, uh, you know, keep its footing in a loss against Washington, lose the game, presumably now chasing the Huskies, trying to get to the Pac-12 championship game. I was talking to my friend Dave Bartu, the college football matrix, this morning. Uh, about whether or not the Pac-12 can get two teams in the playoff. He doesn't think it's likely. And he also sort of pointed out that this game this last weekend between Oregon and Washington really will be a nothing burger if Oregon can get back to Las Vegas, play the Huskies, and beat them. It really will make their early season meeting moot. Does it make it more difficult to get to Vegas that you have one loss and the Huskies don't? Yes, It does. It gives them the inside track, particularly when you have to play USC, Utah, and Oregon State down the stretch in your season, and you know you just have no margin for error there. You can't lose one of those games. You will get displaced. But if Oregon can get to Las Vegas and play for the Pac-12 championship against Washington and beat Washington, the playoff selection committee is not going to say, hey, Washington beat Oregon by three at home early in the season, Therefore, we should discount the championship. No, the conference championship, we all know, will matter more than the game that was played at Husky Stadium. It just will. And, oh, by the way, when you think about it from a selection committee standpoint, if Oregon does arrive in Vegas and wins the Pac-12 championship and is a one-loss conference champion, having a one loss be a road loss against Washington in Seattle, a highly ranked team, playing on the road, and in the back of the selection committee's mind, maybe some strategy misfires by the head coach causing uh, the ultimate defeat in that game, I, I think it's a pretty strong argument for Oregon to be included in the CFP in the Final Four. So keep an eye out from that. We are two weeks away today from the initial rankings of the college football playoff coming out. We'll have Bartu on tomorrow's show, but I asked him today who would be in your Final Four. And, you know, right now, if you had to, if the season ended today, if they just said, season's over, playoff begins, who would be in the Final Four? He has Washington in there. He has Ohio State in there. He has Oklahoma in there. And he has Florida State in there. Interestingly, no Michigan and no Georgia, because Michigan and Georgia haven't played anybody yet. They'll still get an opportunity to make that top four, and somebody will emerge from that group. And certainly Ohio State this weekend plays Penn State, and if Ohio State beats Penn State. Ohio State could leapfrog Oklahoma into the number one position in his mind. But uh, Dave two for like a decade has correctly predicted what the selection committee will do and what the BCS model before that would do. And he's saying right now Washington is the number two team as far as metrics, quality wins, and whatnot. He does not believe two teams from the Pac-12 can make the college football playoff. He thinks USC is out of the picture by virtue of their bad loss to Notre Dame. They would not be a playoff-worthy contender, even if they are the conference champion. Keep an eye on that because of the bad loss to Notre Dame. That would definitely hurt them, and I don't think USC is going to get there anyway. He thinks Washington would have trouble getting there, even as a one-loss conference champion. Keep an eye on that because Washington does not have other quality victories except for the home win against Oregon and if they got to the championship game and Oregon beat him committee's probably going to take Oregon anyway over Washington and uh, uh, so keep an eye on that as it unfolds Meanwhile if you're a beaver household if you're fan if your family roots for the beavers you got a flag out front that says Beaver Nation or you have a bumper sticker on your car or you uh, were excited to see Bernice. Not Benny the Beaver, but Bernice. They brought her back for homecoming. Really interesting story behind Bernice. I don't know if you guys know this. Probably don't. But uh, I got a call from Oregon State last week asking me about Bernice, and my daughter who attends Oregon State had, you know, told me weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks ago, like, like re- during her freshman year. She's a junior now. During her freshman year she had said to me, Dad, I want to be Benny the Beaver someday at a game. And I was just like, are you you a dork? Like, what is going on here? Why do you want to be in the mascot uniform? She's like, it would be really fun to be in that mascot uniform because it looks fun, Benny the Beaver running around the stadium. And so I had kind of jokingly told people at Oregon State, you know, my daughter told me she wanted to be in that mascot uniform. So uh, I got a call from Oregon State last week, and they said, hey, we're bringing Bernice back. Does your daughter want to be in the Bernice outfit for the game? Now, this is several years after she had declared her love for maybe being in the mascot thing. She happened to also be celebrating her 21st birthday on the same night, and so uh, she politely declined, choosing to celebrate her 21st birthday rather than be in the Bernice outfit. But I think uh, that was an interesting development. You know, she is through and through, uh, you know, an Oregon State fan, and and she probably always has rooted Oregon State, although. I know my kid roots for the Ducks. Like in the Rose Bowl when they played Wisconsin, when they played Ohio State, when they played Florida State, she was all about the Ducks because she was saying, hey, I root for the state of Oregon. This is, uh, you know, I'm loyal to my soil. So I want to know. I want to know in your household how it breaks down. Because in our household, I can tell you this, the two young daughters, they got to, to piggyback and go along to the women's Final Four when Sabrina Ionescu and the Ducks played in the women's Final Four in Tampa and they wore duck outfits, they wore t-shirts that said, Go Ducks, and green shirts, and they sat in the arena, and they were really excited to represent the state of Oregon. And yet, if they go to, like, a beaver football game, which they were a few weeks ago, they went to the Utah game with Anna, and and they were, you know, down there wearing, like, beaver ball caps. And so I think they just kind of represent the state of Oregon, like they haven't really sort of picked a dog or a beaver or a duck in the fight, so to speak. And it puts me in a weird position as a, as a journalist, a radio show host, and a sports columnist. You know, I have a daughter who goes to Oregon State. I have two younger kids who will root for Oregon and Oregon State. And I will put on any college football game, any NFL game that happens to be on, and I'll kind of watch it out of fascination just to kind of see what's going to happen, how the coaches are calling the game. So my household's weird in that way. It's a strange household. But I want to know from your standpoint what it's like at your place on game day or maybe on game week or maybe after your team loses a disappointing game like Oregon did over the weekend or wins like Oregon State did against UCLA does it make your Sunday feel different if your team wins loses and what do you do in your household when there's sort of a division cuz I just have this weirdness and I can remember like you know my uh, oldest daughter when Oregon played in a Rose Bowl and I think it was the, the game where they played Ohio State in the Rose Bowl she was really little And I remember, like, she went to the game and she rooted for the Ducks. And then, you know, she also had a Beavers jersey that she would wear to school or she'd have a Duck jersey she'd wear to school. And it was just a really weird thing for me because people would look at her and go, oh, your dad must must be partial to one team or the other. And I was like, you know, she's free to root for whoever she wants to when it comes to college athletics. But she needs to root for the 49ers in the NFL and the San Francisco Giants in Major League Baseball. Everything else. Her decision, total autonomy. Five oh three, four one seven, seventy five seventy five. Tell me what it's like in your household with when it comes to your rooting interests. Uh Steven,
4: what is it like for you guys? Yeah, so we don't have a you know, I, I went to Concordia, my wife went to Concordia as well, so we don't have like that college alumni uh feel. So when it comes to college sports and the kids, it's kind of, you know, root whatever you want. So we have we have a lot of beavers in our family. We have some huskies in our family. We have some ducks in our family. So they kind of just go with whoever their favorite cousins are or their favorite uncles are at that moment, and then they root for those teams. So, uh, you know, both my boys have been like, you know what, we're duck fans, and now we're beaver fans. So if, if we're watching the ducks or beavers, usually they're cheering for them uh, as it goes on. But, you know, you know, I grew up in the area as a Blazer fan. I worked for the Blazers, so I played basketball. I always just loved the Blazers. Uh, but, you know, as I've gotten older – my fandom has turned more into just, like, uh, more into, you know, I want him to win a championship. And working for the Blazers and then getting uh, let go by the Blazers, you know, laid off, it, it kind of hurt the fandom a little bit where I'm not a diehard, but I will always cheer for the Blazers. So I, I always try to convince the kids that the Blazers are it. And my oldest son has gone all in. He, he loves the Blazers. He loves, you know, the new era. He he was down with trading Damian Lillard because he wanted to start it over with, with Scoot Henderson, and he loves all these guys. Uh the little one is just kinda getting into sports, so we're still steering him to the Blazers as well. But when it comes to college But what if he says, Dad, I want to be a Laker fan? Well, I mean like we were watching the preseason game last night and he likes Drew Eubanks, so he said let's go Suns. I mean I, I you
2: know I You're okay with that? I'm fine. Are there certain teams? What what if it is like
4: what if it's the Dallas Cowboys and you're a Niner fan? Yeah, I mean it's I think at this point it's fine. Uh, but you got to just throw hints at them, right? Like, I want them to learn to make their own decisions and to live with those consequences. And you know what? If you don't want to be a Blazer fan in this household, well, guess what? We're gonna cheer for the Blazers, and you're not going to. So you're not gonna be part of the fun. So you just kind of throw little jabs at them until they uh, change their mind, and then you hopefully they become uh, fans with you. We're subtly work yeah. on them. Yeah, and do that. It's my manipulation. That's what. Can I'm I ask to. you
2: something that's occurred to me multiple times? Like I didn't attend a college that had like a college football Saturday, like you. I I relate to your your predicament with Concordia on your side. I went to uh, California State University, Chico, Chico State. That's where I graduated from. It was a Division two school. I played baseball there. They dropped football while I uh, just after I left, like they just ceased playing football. But there wasn't like a college football game day experience, and I kind of envy people who go to colleges that have that. And maybe it's just because I didn't have it.
4: Hundred percent. I I was just talking about this with Coach Vaughn, maybe last night or the night before. I said, man, I really wish. Like sometimes, how cool would it be if every Saturday, everybody knew what you were doing. Right? Everyone knows you're going down to the game. You're tailgating. It's all about that football game. And everybody that you knows you knows that that's what you're doing on that Saturday. They don't have to ask you, hey, what are you doing this Saturday? It's known, hey, we're going down to Corvallis. We're going down to Eugene. We're tailgating for the game. I, I thought it would be – like, that would be really fun to me. And it is – like, I don't have many regrets in my life, and I don't regret going to Concordia, but I do kind of think, like, man, it would have been really fun just to be a student to go and live that type of life and to have – you know, that type of connection with a school because, you know, as I've gotten older, I really enjoy college football and I would just love to have that love. But it's just it can't be there because I it's just, it would be made up for me. I can't fake that love uh, that I don't have.
2: But I think people can adopt it. Like I know a lot of people who are fans of teams and maybe they didn't grow up on them. I think I do think you can adopt a team if that becomes your thing, if it was your granddad's team or your Maybe your mom went to college there. I think you can do that. Let's go to the phone lines. I got a line open at 417-7575 in the 503 area code. Bill is in Gresham. Bill, tell us about your household. Hey, John. I grew
0: up in the backyard of Stanford, so I got to go to Pac-12 games down there. But I've been in Oregon 34 years, and I just don't um, – I'm – I always taught my kids root for the Beavers against the Ducks, but root for either team against the world. And then my, my I have four daughters, they're all adults, and they've gone crazy. I mean, my youngest daughter, I taught them 49ers, Giants, Warriors. Yes. My youngest daughter's a Cowboy fan. My oldest daughter's a Cleveland Browns fan, so, I mean, we're mixed there. Um, but you know, kids will make their own decisions, but I liked it where we weren't up or down with either the ducks or the beavers i think our hearts with the beavers but you know if they become irrelevant we jump on the ducks bandwagon and want oregon to win
2: there you go uh like very hey, by
0: the way but yeah by the way john i went to chico state when football was still a thing there it wasn't the doug dressler days where we actually had a pro playing in the nfl but um it was after that but it it just wasn't the same as stanford where right. the farm had a big stadium, and we had Plunkett yeah. and Vita in that era. That uh, yeah.
2: was great. I'll tell you what, though. I, I keep thinking about that old stadium. I can't remember. I think it was Wildcat Stadium. Uh, I don't know how many get seated, but I tell you, Portland State would probably uh, would kill for it, you know, to have that opportunity to have a home football stadium. Uh, Phil is in Portland. Phil, tell me about your household.
0: Hey, John. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I wanted to let you know that, well, first of all, I'm a crazy Cougar fan, graduated from WSU. Uh, When I was a kid, I think one of my kids was making them clean their room, and they said the thing that cut me the worst. They said, someday when I grow up, I'm going to go
5: to University of Washington and be a Husky.
2: Ooh. How'd you react to that?
5: Uh, Made them clean their room, for sure, but uh, (laughs) things like that
0: cut. So just one more thing, uh, go pack two.
2: There you go. Pac-2 fan right there. Jake Dickert's coming up uh, at 324. He'll be joining us. Uh, something's wrong with Washington State, by the way. I've had a lot of Washington State fans who are frustrated with Jake Dickert, frustrated with the program. The team hasn't been the same in the last couple of weeks. After going 4 oh, they're now 4-2. and There's been some speculation about Dickert possibly on the bye week having some contact with Michigan State or possibly – stopping off while he was recruiting to have conversations about a job. And uh, and I'm really wondering, along with a lot of Washington State fans, if that has impacted or affected Dickert's ability to coach this team. Has it been a distraction? I will ask him about that. If you're a Washington State fan and you want to hear his reaction to it, stay tuned. Let's go to Ace, who's in West Lynn. Ace, thank you for joining.
0: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, it's always a fun topic. You know, on our street, we've got a Nebraska flag next door. Next to them, they have an FC flag. Of course, there's an Oregon flag, and we have an Oregon State flag. My wife, we met at Oregon State. She was a cheerleader there. And I grew up in the shadows of the stadium there growing up. And it was so fun. You know, on Saturdays here, I'm eight years old, breaking the leaves, and I could hear the drums practicing at 8 a.m. So it was just, it it, it is a fun, exciting environment. People say Corvallis is a small college town. It's really a. A big college with a small in a small town.
2: Yeah, There you go. Love that. Love that perspective. You married the cheerleader. There you go, James and Eugene, listening on Fox Sports. Eugene, tell us about your household.
6: John, hey man. So I grew up uh, a Niners, Ducks, Giants, yes, uh, Mariners, and Seahawks fan. But I'm old enough to where uh, the Seahawks were in the AFC at that time. So once they yes. switched over, and I actually became wiser to uh, all of the fans that are most likely in Seahawks Stadium are also rooting for the Huskies, I decided that I really hate the Seahawks. But uh, Niners number one. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I had a Steve Largent. You know, the helmet with the shoulder pads yes. and jersey got a Steve yes. Largent and a, a Jerry. I think it was Jerry Rice. But yeah, and you know, I have. Um, Several family members that went to Oregon State, my sister-in-law, and just as I've gotten more mature, I used to hate the Beavers. And um, watching her love for, because I didn't go to Oregon, I just grew up, you know, two miles from Austin Stadium, so Oregon was just, you know, embedded in me. But um, I've kind of grown some love for Oregon State. You know, when that the basketball team went on their run a couple years ago, and, you know, made it to the Final Four, I think it was with eight.
2: Yeah, you know, I Lee was Daniel. on the phone
6: with my sister-in-law every day talking about the game or talking about, the you know, the Beaver's football team. So, I mean, obviously if the Ducks are playing the Beavers, I'm going for the Beers, but um, as far as kids go, my kids have actually 100% fallen in line. My dad is the one that instilled the Niners into me, and I've just been having the Niners on and Niners memorabilia and stuff around my house, and both my girls, uh, they – sit down, and they'll pay attention to Niners playing, and they root and holler and yell and scream, and so it's pretty awesome having daughters that um, will sit down and watch a football game with you. Yes,
2: I've got that. We've got that over here. I'll I'll tell you that. Uh, They are locked in, and they start asking me good questions, and it's scaring me. You know, Dick, Dad, why isn't Stanford scoring points? I don't know. Then Stanford starts scoring points. Uh, Leave it here. Jake Dickert, Washington State football coach, is next.
3: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
2: Washington State traveling to Eugene to play the Oregon Ducks. Uh, Jake Dickert is with us, Washington State coach. All right, uh, a question everybody's asking is, um, what is going on right now with with the team? What do you see happening on the field?
7: Well, I think it's just a combination of a lot of different things. You know, we got to control the things that we can control a little bit better. And that's our execution. You know, we're just getting out executed at the moment. Uh, went down in the Rose Bowl had a had a tough result in the football game and, and came back and really underachieved against a good Arizona team. So we got to get back on track. We know we're capable of playing good football. We've done it throughout this season, and we just got to get back to who we are and. Uh, you know relax a little bit have a little fun but be very disappointed and, and that's a, a big part of our success
2: yeah that is a fine line right you want guys to be relaxed but focused um you want them to be locked in but play a little bit loose um are teams defending you differently or or is that strategy gamesmanship any of that going on
7: well i think so i think there's a lot of great coaches out there john and you know our offense is is going to operate the way we do, and we want to throw the ball and we want to take it downfield. Uh, we just got to be multidimensional. Right now, we've been a little reliant on the pass. Uh, a lot of people are going a little bit more three down, drop eight, and forcing for us to run the football. And we got to do that more effectively. And we have to take care of the ball. You know, six turnovers or seven turnovers in the last two games isn't going to win you football games in this league. So we recognize that. We've looked at areas to you know, get better, and it starts with me and putting our guys in the best situations possible to have success.
2: Yeah, and I think, too, the uh, I guess the blessing or the silver lining is this is a conference where everybody's going to be playing everybody. There are no easy outs. I think you're going to see some crooked numbers in the loss columns for some teams. Uh, you see Oregon on film. You probably watched the Oregon-Washington game. What what'd you make of that one?
7: Well, I think it's two, obviously, really high-powered football teams going at it at the highest level of competition, and it's, it's fun to watch, observe, You know, I think this Oregon team is very talented. But you see Coach Lanning just imprints on the whole roster and just the style and physicality in which they play. Uh, And you you get a bunch of talented guys, and they play a bunch of them. Uh, Playing that hard, you're going to get a lot of great success, and they have elite quarterback play. So you mix all that together, you get one of the best teams in the country. You know, analytics say this is the most, uh, you know, points progression team in the country and, and the top five efficiency of defense, so they're a complete team. It isn't just one side or the other that dominates, um, you know, so you got a well-versed team and you got to be at your best to try to beat them, and especially for us to go on the road and do it, it'll be a, a high challenge.
2: You as a coach, you're in a position, as, you know, every other coach in the conference is where you are evaluating whether to go on fourth down, whether to take the points. Uh, You know, Dan Lanning this week kind of defending himself, saying, you know, he believes in his guys, he likes going for it in those situations. Do you have a philosophy that you adhere to, or is it analytics-based? Is it gut? How do you decide whether you're going or not going?
7: Well, I think it's one of those things, John, where you get the book. uh, We go through that during the week, just like everyone else goes through their process. And you make a decision. I mean, we know 4th and 1 all over the field, we're going. We feel like we can get that yard, and that's not a surprise. Uh, and then every other situation is uniquely different. The book will recommend something, and then you have to have a feel. Because what the book doesn't understand is an ebb and flow of the game. Is it 50-49, to 49, or is it 3-2? to two? Hmm. Those are two different situations. Uh, so we analyze that as we continue to go through. That's my number one job. And the decisions that the head coach makes comes with great responsibility. We all know that. But I trust in our guys as well to go out there and do it. I think we were – I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like four or five in last year's Oregon game because we know we had to get aggressive and we couldn't settle for field goals to beat these guys. So there's a lot of – situations and circumstances that go into it that's what makes college football great though john is that we're willing to look at ways to try to create an advantage and you know our offense is going to have to stay out in the field and keep converting that was our recipe for success last year and we'll, we'll try to replicate that
2: yeah they score a touchdown you know in that first or second possession they're going for two you see that on film what are they trying to do there
7: you know, and we've gone for two three times as well this year. You're trying to uh, get the opponent a little bit on the heels because even, you know, you go and you take an 8-7 to seven lead, even though you both scored a touchdown one time, you know, there's a distinct mentality advantage to being up that point. And if they have to try to chase you and then you get the stop, you know, there's different ways to try to create advantages. So, um, like I said, I think it's what makes college a little bit unique, people willing to try and step out of the box and do those things. Uh, the fun part or the challenging part, depending on how you look at it, Oregon's done it through those gate formations, which can be extremely challenging on defenses. So, it's one of those things where it's an exciting part of our game, and you're just trying to create a little bit of edge for your football team.
2: This uh, this season, obviously, you guys rallied, especially in the early part of the season, around the idea that you belong. And you know, the last couple of weeks, it's it's not been as successful on the field. But is, is that a message that you guys are still talking about? in the locker room. Do you, are you still playing with a chip on your shoulder?
7: I think Washington State for over 100 years, John, has played with a chip on his shoulder. That didn't just start in the last six months, yeah. I, if, I'm, if I'm being completely honest. So um, I don't think that's anything new. I don't think doubting us or thinking we can't do something is anything new. So uh, I think if you're in our locker room or in our program, uh, you know, that's something that you inherit and you know, and it's got to be a part of who you are. Because it's not going to come easy. We got to do it the hard, tough way, and this is just another situation where we got to prove who we are.
2: Yeah, I didn't like. Uh, you know, look, I I understand you had your back and forth, and you talked to Coach Corso after the whole game day blow up. But you know, I didn't like people who didn't understand what was going on in the conference, making Oregon State and Washington State the butt of any kind of joke. Like it, it's too real to people in the Pacific Northwest. It's too. It's painful. People are anxious about things and. And, you know, I was glad to see that you kind of settled that with Coach Corso. Did, was that a good conversation that you had with him? Did he did you both leave with an understanding?
7: Well, I think for me, John, it was always about the bigger narrative. It was never about one person, one comment. You know, it was the fact that you know th- these decisions that are mostly out of our control affect a lot of people. Period. And that was the that was the basis of ever having a reaction to anything and wanting to give a voice uh, to those people. That's the whole reason. You know, I did that. It wasn't really anything towards what he said. Um, it was just towards making sure we understand that this affects a lot of people, and we're proud of who we are as Cougs. Uh, we're proud to be in the Pac-12, and we always have for a long time, and it's disappointing to get this kind of result.
2: What do you need out of Cam Ward at the, at the quarterback position on Saturday?
7: Be him. Be him and nothing more. And I think that's, that's really important for all of our players. You know, relax. And we started a conversation talking about that play within ourselves, trust that everyone's going to do their job, and keep fighting all the way through it. And just get back to being decisive with the football, delivering it to where we need to be, and go be you and play the way you need to play the game. Uh, I think he's worked a lot on his intangible pieces and his footwork and his techniques, and we saw a lot of really early great results from that, and and let's get back to that. Because the best part is the. The 4-0 team is still there. The guys that have had success in scoring points and touchdowns are still in that room. So uh, it's been a little challenging the last couple weeks, but let's accept that, let's attack it, and let's keep moving.
2: You're a straight shooter, so I'm just going to come right out with it. Your team hasn't looked the same as it did in the early part of the season. There's something that's not quite right. One of the prevailing theories that's out there is that you know, you've had some success and some other schools are interested in maybe hiring you away, Have you had contact with other schools during the bye week? Did you meet with Michigan State? Did you talk with Michigan State? Did you talk with any other school? Is any of that going on?
7: I have not talked to a single person, not just in the bye week, but any week, uh, John. And, you know, I love being here, and I don't need to defend my position here at Washington State. This is the job that I'm here to do and to move our program forward and into the future. So we're excited about that, Uh, and that's been our only focus really the whole time.
2: Yeah, and I think it's – I mean, these conversations, look, I'm i am familiar with it because it's happened at Oregon. You know, Mario Cristobal has success. Of course, people are going to call. Dan Lanning has success. People are going to call. Jonathan Smith, his phone's going to ring. Your phone's going to ring when you have success. And it's one of those things as a coach where you're in a weird position because this is your team, right? You're loyal to your team. You're loyal to your guys. You recruited them. You coached them. And then, you know, you have some success. Naturally, some people in other parts of the country are going to notice it in – uh, that's that's such a weird thing, though. You probably don't think about that when you get into coaching. That hey, I'm gonna one day I may have to answer this question to some radio honk in, in Oregon.
7: Yeah, I have I have not really thought about that. If I'm if I'm being honest, it's one of those things where you know I'm just over two years into being a head coach, and I'm proud <laughs> of what we've navigated through because it hasn't been easy in my four years here at Washington State. And all I've done is just tried to be authentic to the way I think we should run a program and work my tail off and. You know, we're still building. You know, we still are in year two. I remind people of that all the time. And we've had some really good results, and we have some opportunities where we can have better results. So I do think, John, it is part of it, uh, but it says a lot about what our program is doing, and uh, everyone involved should be really proud of that, coaches, players, staff, everybody.
2: All right, so to put it to rest, it's not just Michigan State. You say you didn't talk to any schools over the bye week. That's not part of the distraction. That's not happening right now.
7: Yeah, I haven't talked to any schools ever, John. So I'm, I'm excited okay. about this opportunity this week uh, against a really good Oregon team.
2: The meat of this season right now, you're in it, and this home stretch very important. Do you set goals at different parts of the season? Do you set a goal every week? I mean, how do you handle sort of like the goal-setting part of your job?
7: I'm not a big goal guy, if I'm being completely honest, because I think goals, a lot of times in life, people reach them and then they just fail, right? They just stop working. You know, I... I think at this point John to your question we hit pause, all right? The the season is a long journey. Yeah. So far we're 4 and 2. Let's that is good success. Let's not act like we're we're a 2 and 4 or 0 and 6 football team. So you got to see the big picture. That's my ultimate job. Sometimes when you're just in that fight in that journey and that you know that grind, you don't see the big picture of okay, we are 4 and 2. There's only been about 13, 14, 15 teams in Washington State history to win eight games. So just take them one at a time and keep stacking up 1-0s. and You're going to create a lot of success for yourself and your team. So there isn't as much like goal. We need to try to hit this or hit that. Uh, Obviously, we've created a standard that we want to go to a bowl game here. And then if you continue to just work on winning games one at a time, let's let the chips fall where they may. So that's been our attitude the whole time, and that's been our focus.
2: When I look at Oregon, it's easy to talk about Bo Nix, but I think Bucky Irving might be their MVP. He does a lot of little things and does them well, and he's a guy that produces for them. What do you what What makes Bucky Irving successful?
7: Well, John, good job. You're watching the tape. I like this. I like this. <laughs> um, he's he's very versatile. Because I, I would agree with you, and I, that's not a knock to Bo Nix. That guy's been unbelievable, uh, but. The running game, the pass game, his versatility, you know, try bringing him down with one guy. It's really, really hard. You know, I think he's creative and crafty and and can do a lot of things with the football, and he's a big play guy every time he touches it. So they use him in a variety of different ways. They have the short, quick motions. They scat him out. He's great between the tackles. He's great on outside zone. I think there's a lot of things where you can't, Really box him in is that this is the one thing he can't do. I at least I haven't found it yet through the first three days of studying him. So, uh, him and Franklin, I think, are the the big pay, play guys. And you know, the offensive line in general, I know it's. Finally, we aren't playing some of those guys that we've seen for five, six, seven years, it feels like. <laughs> right? Uh, but they've done a really good job of filling in, and they're really physical. So, once again, Coach Landon's imprint is on this team, and, and uh, Bucky Irvin has been phenomenal.
2: Yeah, I had a, I had a, a Derek Anderson, who played in the NFL, played quarterback at Oregon State. He texted me during the Oregon-Washington game, and he says, you know, gosh, Oregon looks more physical to me than they have in the past. Do you see that on that offensive line, that they're very physical?
7: Oh, they're very physical. It's their calling card. And uh, it's just the, the one. I mean, they've slowed the pace maybe down a little bit to let those guys play fresh, and they come off the ball without hesitation. And that's a staple that I think is just in their program at both sides of the line of scrimmage. And you don't just see it on O-line. You know, I, I believe they play like 15, 17 guys on the defensive line, and they just keep rolling them in there, freshing, and they all attack. So just one of those things that's an impressive part of what this program does.
2: All right, Coach, I will see you at Autzen Stadium. Uh, I think a lot of Washington State fans will be pleased to hear that you're not talking to somebody else. You know, It's one of the conspiracy theories that's floating around out there, and so I'm glad that you uh, came on and talked about it. So I appreciate that. I know that's not, not ever uh, never easy stuff to deal with, but uh, eager to see your team and, and uh, see what you guys uh, bring to Autzen Stadium.
7: Absolutely. It's time to respond. We got knocked down last week. We're going to get up and keep fighting and excited about uh, you having me on, and go Cougs.
2: All right, there's Jake Dickert putting it to rest. Washington State will play at Oregon on Saturday. Dickert saying he has not had contact with other schools by week or any other time. It's one of the prevailing theories that's floating around out there, that, that Michigan State or somebody else is talking to Dickert and that there's some distraction in the locker room or there's something else going on. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it could be. But, again, we're talking about 18-, 19-, 20-year-old kids and trying to get consistency out of them. But something's different about Washington State's team. Is it the way people are defending them? Is it their lack? Is their focus? I don't know. Um, They're just not playing well. They're not the same team that they were in the early part of the season. Let's see what they look like against Oregon. Do they come to play, as Washington State historically has, you know, particularly at Autzen Stadium. Mike Leach used to bring some teams in there that would really compete. Will Washington State show up to compete? Now, I think it's a tall order to ask Washington State to beat Oregon at Autzen Stadium in particular this season. But I do think it's important that Washington State plays well and looks like a team that is regrouped even in defeat. I know Washington State fans don't want to hear that, but if you look down the stretch of this season, there's still a nice season out there for Washington State the possibility of an 8-win season or a 9-win season out there for them. Well, can they find it? Keep an eye on them on Saturday. And and further, will Oregon look a little sleepy coming off a loss against Washington? I, I'm curious to see how Dan Lanning's team will respond to some adversity and, you know, the aftermath of that uh, game. They, you know, Oregon looked a little flat coming out of the Colorado game, going into Stanford. Remember that? Well, let's see how they look this week coming out of a very emotional loss to Washington and entering, uh, you know, a Pacific Northwest rivalry game, part two against Washington State. Our big splash is coming up. I want you here for it.
3: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on seven fifty. The game.
2: Friend of mine, uh, listening to the Jake Dickert interview, texted me. I asked him, uh, you know, do you believe uh, do you believe what Jake Dickert said? As he said during the interview, that he um, he has not had contact with Michigan State. He has not had contact with other schools. Friend of mine replied to that and said, they're paid liars. They have to be. <laughs> and, and I got to ask you, Stephen, you heard Jake Dickert like his team clearly. Looks distracted, looks different on the field. They haven't been able to execute. Everybody's kind of blaming it on the fact that, like, somebody magically has figured out how to defend Cam Ward. How to, You drop eight defenders. You rush three. That's how you do it. Like, they, people did that to Mike Leach, too, and he found a way. It feels like there's something else going on at Washington State in the last two, three weeks. Dickard says it's not that he's out job hunting. He says he hasn't had contact with other schools hasn't had contact with Michigan
4: State. Do you believe him? I don't because I agree with your friend. Like they are paid liars. They're never gonna tell you the truth. And I think I've learned that, you know, so many times just watching this type of thing go down. I just don't believe people in sports. I think that they're liars, um, and they're doing what's best for them. But I don't blame him also because I think he looks at it like this. You know, Washington State was undefeated. They came off the win against Oregon State and they go on the road to UCLA and you know, we were talking about how important that game is. And is Washington State a true contender? And they just kind of, you know, the the final score wasn't indicative of how the game was. They got blown mm-hmm. off that field by UCLA. Then the next week they come home and they get blown off the field by Arizona. That's kind of what Washington State is, right? So I think if you're Jake Dickert, like, yeah, it's a great spot to be in. The fans love you. You can have a good career there at Washington State. But if you're looking to be, you know, a contender for a, you know, a Big Ten title or a college football playoff, or now the fact that Washington State and Oregon State are the Pack 2 of course he's going to be looking for another job. And I don't blame him. I don't think I don't think anyone would blame Jonathan Smith for being like, you know what, I don't know if I want to be at Oregon State because of the Pac-2 thing. I'm going to look to go to a bigger school or even the NFL or something like that. Like, I think we're, there's so much unknown right now in college football that I don't blame people for looking. If you're Washington State, you're Oregon State, trying to get to a better spot. Like That's just the way it is. It's, it's the haves and the have-nots, and right now they're on the have-not side. And I don't trust anything the Pac-12 is going to do. If you're going to the Mountain West – Jake Dicker and Jonathan Smith may be too good to be coaching in the Mountain West. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily believe him. I think he's out there looking for jobs, and I think it does have to do with the distraction of maybe how Washington State is playing. I, they kind of reached their, their ceiling here this season, and there's really no much higher. So what is he going to do, just stay there and be content? I don't think so. Well,
2: I think in his case, all that what you said may be true, but he has preached with his team unity us against the world. He said in that interview, Washington State's been playing for a decade with a chip on its shoulder. He's preached, we belong, we belong, we belong. If his actions during the bye week show that he is looking elsewhere, he has one foot out the door, I think it's far more damaging than a coach like, you know, Mario Cristobal, who we all kind of suspected might want to go home at some point. Um, you know, I think it's a more dangerous place for Jake Dickert to li- to, lee- to, to live because if his team catches wind of that, they're going to lose faith pretty quickly. Now, I don't know if it's, like, I want to believe him. Like, I want to be the last sucker in the room. You know, it's a if it's a Ponzi scheme, I'm, I'm the one who goes, hey, hey, no, no, this is real, this is happening. Like, I want to believe that Jonathan Smith and Jake Dickert both – see the value in the places they're at. But I know Dickert, like, in his heart, he's a Wisconsin kid. He's a Midwest kid. That's where he grew up. That's, you know, where where his history is. And I think at some point he probably goes home. That said, Washington State gave him the job when no one else would give him the head coaching job. They promoted him when Nick Rolovich was there. I would be really, I guess, surprised that he would come on our show and say, No, I've never had any contact. I haven't talked to anybody. And then have it turn out to just be a flat out and out like mischaracterization or lie. Is it possible his agent is talking to somebody? Like is there, but I, I, do you think his team that he's lost his team somehow or they're distracted or did they just get exhausted with the whole it's us against the world thing? What's going on? What's going on with Washington State?
4: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of all that, right? I I, th- I don't know that it's necessarily just the fact that there's rumors about him leaving, but I do think it's the exhaustion. I think even like you know a team like Colorado fell into that against Stanford. They played so many close games, you get emotionally and physically exhausted. I think for Washington State, they've done the same thing. Like they've just been hearing, you know what? It's the Pack Two. You guys aren't belonging. And then this whole Pat McAfee thing has been going on for a while, and their fans are getting involved with that. It's there's so much talk off the field. With this Washington State team, that it has to be exhausting just hearing all of it and battling against it. So, I'm with you on that. I think on the Dickert side, I look at it this way also: like Washington State has never been like the destination school, right? Like that's never anybody's destination school. I think the same can be said for Oregon State. Maybe Jonathan Smith is the one guy that would make Oregon State the destination school because he went there. He he is Oregon State, but I never consider Washington State that. So for that reason, like. I think Jake Dick is probably looking around saying, why would I want to stay here if I can go somewhere else, make a little more money? So it, it, it's just, it's got to be exhausting to be those two teams. It, it really shows how good Jonathan Smith and that staff at Oregon State have done to keep those guys on track.
2: I think there's a lot of people at Washington State who are really anxious. If I'm Oregon State right now, Scott Barnes, the athletic director, just got a three-year contract extension last week. Nick Dashell reported it first. Barnes got the contract extension. Now you have Jonathan Smith. It's, you know, even though Oregon State gave him an extension in December of last year, these are unusual circumstances. And I would not be surprised if Oregon State, like in fact I think Oregon State should be working on something that raises Jonathan Smith's buyout, keeps him at Oregon State. Because for crying out loud, how do you keep anybody from jumping in the transfer portal if you don't have a head coach who's got a buyout that ensures that he's gonna be there? Punching audio's coming up. We got the best sound from all around. I got a lot to say about it. Leave it here.
3: B F F T. From the PacWest West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with The Bald faced Truth.
2: Hey, who the? audio clip of Jake Dickert, the Washington State coach, answering my questions about whether or not he has talked with Michigan State or anybody else. And uh, and nobody believes that he's staying at Washington State. The, the mentions on Twitter, at John Canzano BFT if you want to check it out. The mentions on Twitter, Robert, who's a Coog fan, says, Needless to say, he's not talking to anybody now. (laughs) He needs to get the team back on track. Pete says, This is why coaches have agents, so they don't have to answer this kind of question in the affirmative. Tim says, He hasn't talked to anybody, but his agents have. Uh, Duck fan, uh, Noise, says, I'm not sure he would have answered any differently if you had asked, Have you or your agent? Ron says, he gone. <laughs> and uh, Goku's 808 says, maybe his agent is doing all the talking. Uh, it's a tangled web
4: we weave, these coaches. It, it's kind of a sad world we live in in sports where we all think everyone's lying all the time. But, it I mean, it's kind of how we have to think, right? My friend's like, they're paid liars. <laughs> of course he's going to say that.
2: But here's the other thing. You know, all these Washington State fans wanted me to ask the question. You know, I went on KJR in Seattle this morning and uh, on uh, Jason Puckett's show, Puck, who, uh, who you know is a graduate of Washington State, that's the team he roots for, all that uh, stuff, and he says, you know, you got Dickert on, ask him this question, and then later I, because I went on that show and they knew that Dickert was coming on, I had several Washington State fans say, don't just ask him if it's what is Michigan State he's talking to. You got to ask him. Is he talking to anybody else? And uh, so I ask that, and now people are going, well, 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 his agent. (laughs) How about his agent? So maybe I'll text him and just be like, how about your agent? Your agent talking to anybody? Here's, Here's what Dickard said on the show. Have you had contact with other schools during the bye week? Did you meet with Michigan State? Did you talk with Michigan State? Did you talk with any other school? Is any of that going on?
7: I have not talked to a single person, not just in the bye week, but any week, uh, John. And, you know, I love being here, and I don't need to defend my position here at Washington State. This is the job that I'm here to do and to move our program forward and into the future. So we're excited about that, uh, and that's been our only focus really the whole time.
2: It's not just Michigan State. You say you didn't talk to any schools over the bye week. That's not part of the distraction. That's not happening right now.
7: Yeah, I haven't talked to any schools ever, John. So I'm, I'm excited okay. about this opportunity this week uh, against a really good Oregon team.
2: All right, maybe I'm the last sucker willing to believe. But I want to believe that Jake Dickert isn't talking to other schools and that his agent's not talking to other schools. But in my uh, brain, my brain is going, this is a Ponzi scheme. Come on.
4: Well, so what are you doing? And especially for Oregon State, and Washington State, like they've gone through so much this past year with all this realignment stuff. It's like you want something good to happen to those two guys, right? Like, just give them their coaches back, just let them stay there. But I, I don't know. I just well,
2: they've been they've already been ditched by the conference.
4: Yeah, right? now, and, now the coaches are going to ditch them. I, I'm with you. I want to believe. I really do. I just I, but you don't. I, I but can't. you don't believe. I don't. I don't believe. <laughs> no.
2: Well, there you have it. Uh, all right, let's play some punch and audio. We're going to talk. We're going to hear from Chip Kelly. Uh, you'll also hear the Spanish radio call from the press box. Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, big play there. You're going to hear the radio call. Bucky Irving, Dan Patrick criticizing the Chargers and Justin Herbert, and Dan Lanning, who spoke out last night, Oregon football coach. I thought he did a nice job defending his uh, indefensible position uh, coming out of the game. Many people thinking uh, you know, he had an indefensible position. I thought he did a pretty good job defending it. You, uh, we'll see if you agree. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement
3: from the truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay?
1: Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear
2: little snippets of sound.
1: Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented
3: by First Call Heating and Cooling.
2: Let's start by looking back at Oregon State-UCLA over the weekend. We talk a lot about the offensive performance, but Ryan Cooper Jr. ended up as the conference's Defensive Player of the Week. Here's how it sounded on Saturday night. Punch it. They go quickly on first down, and a pass is picked off on the right sideline. Ryan Cooper Jr., 30-20. Mike Parker on the call, Ryan Cooper Jr. with a pick six. Oregon State looked really good at home. Research Stadium playing a role in the game and in the result of the game as UCLA struggled a little bit on offense, couldn't run some of their stuff due to the sound, had four or five times where you could really tell that the crowd noise had impacted UCLA on the offensive side of the ball. A lost fact. In all of the discussion about, you know, look, Oregon State got bowl eligible. They're six and one. How about this one? Jonathan Smith, with the win on Saturday, improved to thirty-two and thirty-two overall as a head coach. For a guy who started his tenure at Oregon State in a two and ten hole, and didn't have a winning season until year number four, that was a major accomplishment to get back to five hundred. And, you know, for people, people may look at it and go, hey, Chip Kelly, who, by the way, is 31-31, and and Jonathan Smith is 32-32, and hired at the same time. I'm more impressed with the job that Jonathan Smith has done at Oregon State, and I think you can make an argument right now that Smith is one of the top two or three coaches in the Pac-12 Conference, speaking of trying to hold on to coaches. Meanwhile, Chip Kelly, looking back, the takeaways from the loss to Oregon State. Here's the Bruins' coach
8: punching. Um, Philip so typically, is we gave up 13 points on three turnovers. We can't turn the ball over on the offensive side of the ball. You know, It was a 12-point game, but we have to do a better job offensively in all phases, um, especially in the turnover deal. Receivers and the quarterback all have part of it. So we got to do a better job, especially in the turnover deal. We can't you can't lose a turnover battle on the road in this conference and expect to win a football game.
2: Chip Kelly talking turnovers. Crowd played a role in that. Defense played a role. It was a nice bounce back for the Oregon
4: State defense. Well, that pick six, John, was huge. I mean, UCLA was down by one score and driving uh, at the end of the half there. I mean, talk about momentum swing. It was all right there in that pick six, and after that, the game was kind of over, it felt like.
2: I, uh, I think it was a big momentum swing, and it was a dagger to Dante Moore, who, you know, as a young quarterback in the conference, is looking young at some different points. Dallas Cowboys la chargers on monday night football justin herbert hadn't been sacked all night he got sacked and then the ensuing play near the end of regulation sealed it for the cowboys punch it first sack of the night herbert gets rid of it and he's picked intercepted
3: by the cowboys the catch is good
8: And Gilmore's the one who got it.
2: Herbert finishing that game. Dan Patrick saying, uh, this is uh, just not Justin Herbert and the Chargers as you'd hope they would have evolved.
3: We're still waiting for the Chargers. I've been waiting for years. And I'm going to continue to wait for years, I think. Because now it it feels like it's habitual. This, This isn't a coincidence. You don't... You don't lose games or you know, close games uh, and, and continue to do that without there really being something systemic here. Uh, Justin Herbert is wonderful in the first three quarters. Fourth quarter, he's not a good quarterback. We don't focus on the Chargers, Justin Herbert, as much if they were in a different market. If they were in New York, can you imagine? Whew. I mean, you're in L.A., And, you know, you're not even one of the top five teams probably in Los Angeles.
2: Tough words from Dan Patrick. I haven't felt like Herbert really has ever had the pieces around him fully. And I think we're watching a little bit of what we've seen with some young quarterbacks who come into the league and struggle. That said, I think he's the right QB there. I don't think he's in any danger of being classified as not the guy uh, for the Chargers. but. Changing of a head coach. You got a coordinator changeover. It's, you know, and, and granted, Justin Herbert went through three different head coaches in his four years at Oregon, multiple coordinators, played for Mark Helfrich, played for Willie Taggart, played for Mario Cristobal, goes into the NFL. His coach doesn't survive very long. Now, you know, now he's got a new coach, but I just keep waiting for Herbert to get some semblance of continuity and it just doesn't seem like it comes and maybe that's the nfl maybe that's just the struggle that a, a team that is changing head coaches uh, endures but i'm kind of i'm just hopeful and maybe i'm a little naive here that that the chargers will put it together because i think herbert is the guy i mean steven do you think justin herbert is the problem with the chargers
4: Ultimately, no, I don't think it's just him, but he is part of the problem. Um, because you do look at those fourth quarter stats, John, they are worse than those stats. Uh, you know, he's thrown 16 interceptions in the fourth quarter, third quarter, eight interceptions, second quarter, eight interceptions, first quarter, five. So it's double the amount of interceptions he's thrown in the fourth quarter in his career. He's had some epic. Letdowns in spots in big time games Against the playoffs like against the Jags last season His yards attempt are lower in the fourth quarter So there is something to it uh, of The fact that he just isn't the same quarterback In the fourth quarter I don't know if that's the coaching staff I don't know if that's him But I I, I don't think he's the problem But I think he is part of the problem And he does have to step up I, th- I think he deserves some criticism But I think ultimately there's more of an organizational problem with the Chargers.
2: It wasn't his best game. And and Dallas, if you want to talk about a strength, Dallas can be opportunistic on defense and pretty good. But he's having his best NFL season. Justin Herbert's having his best season. His completion percentage through uh, five games is the highest that it's been in in his NFL career. He's got nine touchdowns and only two interceptions. His quarterback rating for the season is 101.7 it's better than any other season in his uh in his brief career i i just keep waiting i thought the defense the chargers defense did enough to win last night i just kept, i thought that was the drive late in the game i was locked in and i was going this is the drive where we're going to see justin herbert drive the ball down the field and bam here came the Cowboys, you know, he, you know, he didn't have a chance.
4: Yeah, I feel like we're just waiting for that moment, right, that big-time moment of Justin Herbert where, you're like, all right, he really has arrived because he has great stats, he has, you know, great plays individually, but he's never had, like, the big moment. And I thought, I'm with you, last night felt like that moment, you can go down, score a touchdown, win the game, and then it was a sack and a pick real quick, and it's just like, man, you want something good to happen with this game.
2: Yeah, you need, want, hope something good happens for him. How about Bryce Harper? Something good happened for him. Oh wait, before I go to Bryce Harper, can I play the Monday night football call? Dallas Cowboys Spanish radio call from the press box. I gotta play this. Punch it.
4: Wow, <muchas> vaya Six puntos
8: para la causa de los vaqueros. Doce acarreos en toda la campaña. En el número 13, jugada personal y en cuarta oportunidad, consigue los seis puntos. Siete a seis arriba los Chargers, pero los vaqueros responden y de qué forma.
4: There it is, Dak Prescott. Well, how rare is it that the announcer's <laughs> in the press box with the other media? I know. It's, all right. Does that happen a lot? No, it doesn't. <laughs> and it tells me that,
2: this was such a big game. They had no room. They didn't have a radio booth for the Spanish radio broadcast. And somebody who was probably pretty annoyed is videotaping that and uh, and tweeting it out. But, you know, I was in the Oregon State press box a couple weeks ago when Oregon State played on the Friday against Utah. It was kind of embarrassing to do my radio show in front of a bunch of writers who were kind of setting up on press row and I was, you know, I was kind of just sheepishly sitting there going, uh, you know, this is I know I'm I'm being annoying.
4: People are being forced to listen to this show, but it happens. It's just not frequently. I mean, I haven't been to too many press boxes, but I was shocked uh the San Diego State-Oregon State game, how quiet it is on press row. Yes. Like, nobody yes. talks. Like, I came over and was talking to you, and it was like, we had to whisper because everyone was being quiet watching the game. It was really weird. It's
2: uh, very sterile and removed from the stadium. Oregon State needs to open the windows. Hank, Sean, open the windows in the press box. You need a little atmosphere, or pipe in the stadium noise. Put a microphone outside and just pipe in the noise. You need a little bit of noise in there. Shouldn't be able to hear everybody typing. Bryce Harper, back to him. Philadelphia Phillies. It's his 31st birthday, and he happens to be playing in the National League Championship Series. Pretty good. Here's Bryce Harper on his birthday. Punch
4: it, or Schwarber in the regular season. Now Harper
2: deep in the right center, and he'll watch this one fly. Second home run of the inning. There it is, Harper. The Phillies beat the Diamondbacks five-three. Phillies lead one-zip in the National League Championship Series. Bucky Irving, Oregon Duck running back, and maybe their MVP. Talking about bouncing back from the Washington loss. Punch it. Oh,
7: yeah. We've been here before. I mean, we just got to put our heads down the ground. Can't really sit around and pout and think about the loss. We just got to get back to work. Oh, yeah. I mean, win or loss, we're going to come to work. I mean, that one loss don't find, define our season, so we're just going to put our head down to work.
2: I'd be really curious to see how Oregon reacts to losing a game. You always kind of wonder, does a team like Washington State, continue to look really distracted after they lose a game. Does the shine come off things? Colorado, I think we saw a little bit of that. And a lot of this has to do with the opponent. But i like to see Oregon fly around the stadium and play with purpose early in the game on Saturday against Washington State. I know Jake Dickert and Washington State hope that doesn't happen. They're probably hoping that Oregon will show up flat and sleepy. As, you know, Oregon did look a little flat and sleepy after the Colorado game. Remember, they went on the road to Stanford, and they just didn't look the same in the first half of the Stanford game. They did not score. And I thought that was a real response or a reaction to the emotional expenditure that the Colorado game took out of Oregon. It was a very emotional scene at Autzen Stadium, and then you go to Stanford where it's a library, and you have to play there. It, It was a really interesting advantage for Stanford in the first half of that game, and then Oregon woke up and... Ran away with it. But what will the Ducks look like in the first half against Washington State? I think there's legit questions there. And, you know, it's really going to be interesting to see how Washington State responds after looking really bad for a couple of weeks. Dan Lanning went for it on fourth down and then went again and went again. Josh Pate says, Oregon knows who it is.
3: Punch it. So here's the thing. No, I I would have preferred they kick a field goal at the end of the half. The other stuff, that's personal preference. That's philosophy. I could not care less. I appreciate it. I respect it. Here's what they're not doing. They're not flipping a coin on that Oregon sideline. They know who they are. If you don't like it, you don't like it. If you do like it, you do like it. I don't really think they care much. Uh, But I was looking at it from the perspective of he thinks he's got the better team. Like, he trusts his players. That's really what it came down to. They think they've out-recruited and maybe out-athlete Washington, and they trust their guys to come through on fourth down. They didn't. They didn't execute on fourth down. Washington did, and that's why they didn't get it done. They didn't execute because Washington kept them from executing.
2: Washington kept them from executing. I agree mostly with Josh Pate. Oregon knows who it is. I still think you can question the decisions that Dan Lanning made. I don't think you're insane for going, hey, you're, you're venturing into recklessness. But I liked what Lanning had to say in his Monday night news conference. He talked specifically about what he did after the Washington game and his thought process on fourth downs. Here's Dan Lanning responding to criticism punch it
8: yeah um well i'd say this like if i knew none of them were gonna work you would change every situation right that's not the way those decisions work right the you know here's here's the hard part you know when you sit in this seat um when i make decisions one i'm a big boy i can handle criticism right and that's gonna come that's that's and it's deserved uh in this position that's the way it works um i trust our players i trust our coaches and we have opportunities to win games i'm gonna i'm gonna be aggressive uh to win games
2: Going to be aggressive, going to try to win games, didn't apologize for it. Talked about the thought process.
8: Uh, if you look back at all of them, you know, ultimately field goal before half, that's one that I feel we certainly could have gone either way. Like I said on Saturday, um, we felt that we had the look. If we didn't have the look that we wanted, we were going to call a timeout and we are going to kick the field goal. Um, could easily turn around and say kick the field goal there and feel good about it. I, you know, at the very end of the game, I don't think there's any scenario where I wouldn't go for it on fourth down there. When you have an opportunity to put the game away, they've scored on more than 50% of their drives at that point in the game. Um, you know, 75 yards to 50 yards to 80 yards for them with a potent offense. You know, they're, they're going to have a lot of success in a lot of those scenarios, and they had that day. Um, and then, you know, transversely, it gives our offense an opportunity to come back and still have a chance um, in that situation. We don't get it. If we get the first you know, the game's over. So um, what I would go back, like I said on Saturday, is the 3rd-and-2. I wish we could have executed at a higher level. There was some confusion there.
2: Dan Landing doesn't sound like he's sorry for going for it. Sounds like a guy that would do it again, given the opportunity. Did he get that right? What did you make of his explanation? I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. You weigh in.
3: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
2: How did Dan Landing handle the criticism? He uh, was asked whether he goes off analytics or gut feel.
8: Yeah, it's a combination of the what we've studied throughout the week and where we feel like our advantages lie. Um, you know, certainly analytics is a part of that. Certainly, you know how good do you feel about the call versus what you think you're going to get from a look standpoint is part of that. Um, and you know, throughout a game you have to reassess it and adjust it. It's never going to be all one or all the other. You know, when it comes to that.
2: Does it concern you that Lanning didn't get the calls and didn't get the result against Washington? Didn't get it last year against Oregon State? Didn't get it against Washington last season as well? Three games in a row. He says he deserves the criticism.
8: You know what? what's tough is when I make those decisions, like I said, it doesn't just affect me. It affects everybody in our program. It affects everybody that cares about Oregon football, and I understand that. And like I said, uh, I'm deserved of the criticism, but it's not like those those decisions are made – Um, On Saturday in that moment, you know, those decisions are made earlier in the week. Hey, how do we want to play this game? We knew this was going to be a game. It was going to be a a high-scoring game where there was, you know, touchdowns over field goals mattered. you know, in that scenario, like I said, before half, I think you could certainly say that could go the other direction. Um, a lot of the other scenarios, I don't know that you'd play it any other way other than if you already knew what the result of the play was going to be. You know, three, three opportunities on a fourth, the chances of us not getting one of those three is really unique, um, you know, especially with what we've done offensively so far this year.
2: I love that he used the word unique there. The, the chances of us get – but he's basically saying is that didn't go as we thought it would go. That was unique. That wasn't as expected. Uh, Dan Lanning and Oregon lose the game to Washington. As I pointed out off the top of the show today, if Oregon runs the table, gets back to Las Vegas, beats Washington in the conference championship game, uh, the loss on Saturday, this last Saturday, is a nothing burger. It really is. Uh, Tomorrow on the program, we'll talk to Dave Bartu, the college football matrix who crunches the data and looks at such things. But um, really really not that big of a deal because the conference championship game, if it's Oregon and Washington, it will be all that matters. The winner of the conference championship game likely would then head to the college football playoff. There are some other teams that could spoil that. Oregon State could get in there, knock Oregon out by winning the Civil War game, and I think Oregon State is well-positioned to knock Washington out as well. I mean, there's a scenario that exists that Oregon State hosts Washington – in the second-to-last regular season weekend, and then goes to Oregon in the season finale, if Oregon State wins both of those games, Beavers probably going to Vegas to play for the conference championship. The uninvited guest, so to speak, showing up in Vegas. But Dan Lanning says... He's a big boy. He can handle the criticism.
8: Yeah. Um, well, I'd say this: like, if I knew none of them were going to work, you would change every situation, right? That's not the way those decisions work, right? The you know, here's here's the hard part. You know, when you sit in this seat, um, when I make decisions, one, I, I'm a big boy. I can handle criticism, right? And that's going to come. That's that's and it's deserved uh, in this position. That's the way it works. Um, I trust our players. I trust our coaches, and when we have opportunities to win games. I'm gonna I'm gonna be aggressive uh, to win games.
2: There it is. Dan Lanning says he'll be aggressive. How did he do? How did he do there? 503 417 Let's go up to Craig. Craig, how do you think Dan Lanning sounded there?
9: Well, the issue that I have with Dan Lanning is that he, uh, I look at it from the recruiting standpoint. If I'm a five-star recruit, do I want to go play for a team or for a guy who potentially is going to throw games away or throw seasons away because he's thinking with his huevos instead of his brain. You know, I just, uh, when it, when Jim Rome says, and I, I think to a certain degree, when you say that's just who he is, well, that's, it, does that make it okay? I mean, the guy who shows up late for work every Monday and everyone says, oh, that's just who he is, that doesn't make it good. That doesn't make it
7: all right.
2: Yeah, but I think showing up late for work every Monday is different than using your personality and your your go for it mentality to recruit four and five star players to retain coaches and to build a program that rises in the rankings to the point where people are not only looking at Oregon saying I want I want to play at Oregon they're saying I want to play for Dan Lanning and then and then on game day that same guy doesn't resort into being you know conservative and shy. He stays bold. He stays, you know, yes, he needs someone in his ear to go, hey, coach, maybe punt it here. Hey, coach, maybe uh, I don't know, fourth and three. Uh, You know, and if we're going on fourth down, maybe we run the football on third down. Like, Like, somebody needs to be in his ear. But I don't think it's the same when you say, hey, this is just who he is. He knows who he is. I don't think we're saying, you know, that that's necessarily a bad thing. Yes, it cost him the game, but Think about this. If he converts just one of the three fourth-down opportunities, if he gets the touchdown right before half, Oregon wins this game. If he gets the touchdown in the third quarter, Oregon wins the game. If he converts the fourth down on fourth and three from the 47, Washington never gets the ball back. Oregon wins the game. I think if you had said before the game, that Oregon's going to have three-fourth downs and short. And if they can convert one of them, they will beat Washington. I think you would take that as a Duck fan. I really do. I,
4: I feel like also if I'm a recruit, I'm looking at Dan Lane, and I'm saying I love what this guy does. He, he trusts his teammates, or he trusts his players. He but did he trust his, his defense? I'm going to push back. Did he trust his defense in that last one? He didn't. No, but he put the ball in the hands of a Heisman candidate. Right, like fourth and three, three yards. If you can't get three yards against that Washington defense, you don't deserve to win. Like Penix is going down to score no matter what. He did that. The Heisman is going to go out and win it. You got to give the ball to Bo Nix in that situation. And I, I mean, I love it. I love the fact that he went to win. And I do love the fact that he also basically said, Lanning, I don't apologize for what uh, for that fourth and three. Like that was the right call to make. We get three yards. We win that game. So I don't know. I, I feel like Lanning. Yes. He did lose the game because he went far and forth down, but they were all the right decisions. Let's
2: go to Brian, who is in Portland. Brian, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John, how are you? I'm doing well.
10: Hey, so my take on the whole thing is, you know, before half, I think Bo missed a potential uh, touchdown pass on third down. I think at that point you say, hey, we got the interception. Let's take the B three points and move on. I don't know that a, a touchdown would have won the game there. And then on the end, the only thing I disagree with was the play calling. Third and two, that box from TV looked like it was stacked. You know, that's I think, is the play to do something a little creative. And then on the fourth down play, if you look at it closely, three wide receivers were in the pattern. One got guy, Two guys are nine yards out. The other one's seven yards out. And they're all in a little triangle. Yeah, so if you're a close. DB, you could cover yeah. either one of any one of the three. So love what he's doing. Could a question the poor halftime? The the one at fourth down? Any duck fan that wants him to um, to uh, to punt punt there with Penix, you're crazy.
2: Yeah, Thanks, I, I I think Oregon had made its mind up when Dan Landing said these are decisions that are made well before the game. I think what he was saying is the coaching staff. You know, and Jake Dickert said it earlier. You know, I asked him the Washington State coach. In our interview about him going for it on fourth down in last year's game, they went for it three times, and he said we knew threes weren't going to beat Oregon. They knew they needed sevens, and they got them, and they made it a big—you know—it was a big game. Let's go to Mike, who's in Centralia. Mike, welcome to the show.
5: Hey, John, how you doing? I'm well. Hey, um, as a UW fan, that that guy, the coach Lanning, his his attitude uh, scares me. You know what I mean? Because they probably are gonna meet again and what I mean by scares me is he's not afraid. He trusts his guys. And as a player, you gotta love that. Now, if he would have won the game, he would have been the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> but they didn't. But we all know like we've been talking about, they're gonna win I mean, they're probably gonna win out or maybe not. They might you know, you got Oregon State. But they're a good possibility they're gonna see Washington again. I don't think anybody in the Pac-12 is going without a loss. In fact, my prediction—and I don't know if it's going to come true—but I picked the Beavers to win it all this year, and that's how good this conference is this year. But anyway, uh, Lanning, his his his, uh, his thought process—whether you love it or hate it—it's it, it, kind of scary if you're a UW fan. Yeah. Um, and
2: time, look, I think if they if Oregon plays that game again against Washington, they're playing this weekend at a neutral site. What's the spread of the game, Stephen?
4: Neutral site, I would say probably the Ducks by a point or two.
2: Yeah, I would say Oregon minus one and a half would be the spread. And I think I agree with you 100%. And I think Washington knows. It got out gained. It got out first down. Oregon ran far more plays. I think it was something like 84 to 69 on the offensive side. Oregon knew Michael Penix Jr. was over there on the other side and didn't want to give him the ball back and and was thinking, hey, we need sevens, not threes. Larry's in Eugene, listening to Fox Sports, Eugene. Larry, go ahead.
0: Yes, I think the whole thing comes down to the fact that Bucky Irving was not in the game on third and two, and they ran a north and south play with Jordan James. And third and two is really what it was all about. If you get that third and two, you don't have to worry about fourth and three. You can pretty much run out the clock or get very close. After you do, after you lose a yard on third and two, that's when you got to punt, hopefully within the twenty you know within the twenty yard line or less, and 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 get your defense fired up, tell your safeties to turn around and look for the ball, and game over.
5: That's yeah. my take.
2: I uh, I think that you're right. I cringed when Bucky Irving didn't touch the ball in either of the third downs. Flurb, flurb's in Portland. Flurb, where do you stand on this?
1: John, do you think if Oregon would have punted the ball at the end, do you think they do you think Washington would have at least scored a field goal?
2: Washington do You think they would have scored a touchdown? I, I, I think it would have, yeah. I think Washington would have just needed two more plays. That's that's what I think. Oregon had no defensive backs in the game. Their two starters were out. But it was Michael Penix Jr., those receivers were getting what they want. It looked a lot like the Colorado stanford matchup at the end i thought if washington had the ball anywhere on the field they were going to score a touchdown
1: well that's that's where i disagree i think i think uh the the defense landing's a defensive guy i don't know why he didn't rely upon his yeah it was just you already lost it twice i think the players won that game the oregon players won that game the coach lost it
2: I think gotcha. You can argue that. I, th- I think you can totally argue that. And I think a strategy, if you think about it, from a strategy standpoint, he was 0-3. He lost the chess match to Kalen DeBoer. Now, DeBoer went for it on fourth and goal and didn't get it either. And, it, you know, it was a great game. And that's the thing that is maybe a little bit lost in all of this is, like, you know, I think a little differently than the average person who's watching this game. You know, you, as you're watching the game, you're either rooting for the Ducks or you're rooting against the Ducks. There's no other way for you to watch it. I'm watching the game as a story. And I'm seeing it was a great game. It was one of those few games that I've watched where every single play felt big. I didn't want it was like watching a world series where every pitch was an important event. There was nothing wasted. There was no fat. There was no gristle on this game. It was just meat and it was fantastic to watch. But I also was seeing it from 20,000 feet, and i got to be honest with you, I was thinking about the loser of the game no matter what. If Oregon had won that game, it still was going to create this incredible arc of the season for the losing team that was going to have to fight its way back to get to Vegas. If that was going to be Washington, if that was going to be Oregon, there's an incredible story that is untold here. The Ducks, if they win out and get back to Vegas and play a rematch against Washington— it's gonna be incredible theater to watch them in a second opportunity when they walk in the stadium probably in their hearts, knowing they're the better team. I think Oregon's the better team. I think the callers are supporting that. And Dan Lanning's then gonna have a decision. Do I coach the game the same way? It or Do I make an adjustment and go, I have the better players. Let my players go win
4: this game. Do you think that Lanning lost a little bit of trust in Will Stein after the game? Because I blame Will Stein in these situations. The play calling was bad, and the caller alluded to it. Third and two, that play was a terrible play call. Should have been checked out of either by Bo Nix or Will Stein to tell him to get out of it. And then the fourth and three play, the rollout was two. There was two options on the play to throw to, and they're both guarded right from the start. So I, yeah. I put a lot of blame on Will Stein. Do you think Lanning loses any trust going forward with him?
2: I don't know if he loses trust, but I know that you know Landing made the comment that he did not go to sleep after the game, and I thought that was interesting. You know, he's pouring through every little thing that they could have done differently, probably thinking about his own decisions as well. Uh, let's go to Mark in Portland. Go ahead, Mark. Welcome to the conversation.
1: Yeah, what about the fan base that wasn't able? I still can't get to sleep at night over – Over. I mean, I look at this, John. A quarterback, if, if Bo Nix uh, throws for 320 yards uh, against the Beavers and throws – you know, he's uh, taking a couple of aggressive moves and throwing into tight windows and he ends up with three yeah. interceptions and we lose by three points, we're going to blame the quarterback for those three yeah. turnovers. Dan sure. Lanning made those choices to go for it he's the captain and they failed on all three of them and they they left points in the red zone in in all these football games in the nfl we, we have a lot of parody we look at the, the red zone trips the ducks had how many red zone trips they had uh they kicked their field goals they were out of the red zone but they have four touchdowns in five red zone trips i believe or six and the huskies got five touchdowns and, and that's what it comes down to so We need it. You know, I mean, he went for it on third down. Like you said, we should have ran the football. We didn't. So you have to take the points there. I mean, I think 95% plus of coaches would take the points there. You've taken the, the punch in the mouth from Washington and you're going in the locker room, getting the ball in the second half down by one point. I thought we, we had a great opportunity to take some momentum in there after the turnover. You have, to, you have to get points after that turnover, in my mind. I go back to the 70s when the Steelers, on fourth and eight, uh, because their punt team gave up a block punt, they decided to, to, to just hand the ball off to Franco Harris. And we ended up, because he had the greatest defense ever behind him, he ended up being bailed out by the defense. They call it a heroic move to this day. I look at that as a stupid move. If I ever see Chuck Knoll in heaven, I'm, I'm going to talk
2: to him about it. So what were you thinking? <laughs> what makes you think Chuck Knoll's in heaven. You know, <laughs> you know, there you go, Mark in Portland, true fan. More of your phone calls. Leave it here. You got the BFT. I'll take your calls at 503-417-7575. Back
3: to the bald Face truth with John Canzano on 750, Woo! The Game. Woo!
2: Did you guys see the uh, the fan uh, that was in uh, at the Chargers game, that, that Asian lady who was going bananas at the game, and uh, she be, went viral, and Pat McAfee had her on the show. Turns out she's a real fan. Everybody thought she was a plant. Steven, did you see that?
4: I did see that, yeah. That was uh, pretty wild.
2: Anna, do you have an opinion on that? And I'm not asking you because you're Asian. I'm asking you because you've just popped <laughs> into the studio. I'm going to make that clarification, because like, somebody's going to send me an email going, I was uncomfortable yeah, when you asked your wife about the Asian lady.
11: And if that person is uncomfortable, they need to get a <laughs> Uh No, she's great. Uh, but, like, how sad is it that we are so cynical now that I did notice her as we were watching the game. I was like, oh, wow, they're giving her a lot of face time. And She's really
2: excitable. She is. I she like She's very her. expressive. I liked it. I liked seeing that, because it was a uh, juxtaposition. <laughs> and and the best, most interesting things are usually juxtapositions. It's a lady who looks like she would be nowhere near football. Yeah, with glasses, right. wearing a Chargers jersey, way over the top rooting. Yeah. You know, yeah. But well, you're, how cynical are we? I don't know. Jake Dickert came on the show earlier. and He said he hasn't had contact with Michigan State. Whatever. I put the audio clip on Twitter. Nobody believes
4: him. Well, <laughs> there are reports out there now that she there's pictures of her in a Vikings uniform. Before.
2: Yeah, but her son, that's her oh. kid. Her kid plays for the Vikings. Uh, She's cleared pa- that but up. Face
4: painted though. Her, I,
2: <laughs> I, she I'm, looks
4: like a real fan of that one.
11: So, yeah, here's the thing. Like, everyone can't sees that. She's and a we player. can't, like, we're we ha- our meters, our you-know-what meters are so high that we see that. And, and we don't just go, oh, look at her. She's just a passionate fan. I like it. We go, oh, this is L.A. This is Hollywood. She's probably hired. She's a plant. She's an
2: actor. But you know what I would do? If I had a suite at SoFi Stadium, I would make it like dinner for schmucks. And I would invite people like her. I would have the most demonstrative, unusual people all in the box, and I would just sit back, highly entertained at the scene around me. That's what I would do. If I'm a billionaire and I got a suite at SoFi, she's in the box. Wow! And if you're in the box, guess what? You're part of the crowd. It's like Howard Stern's crew. You know, made the short list. are on the bus. Would you do that though?
4: Oh. Would you? Would you just join a random crowd and act like you're a diehard fan? Like I've I've done that before. I've gone to a Civil War game at in Eugene, and I just was like, oh, "I'm gonna be a Duck fan today." And I started joining the crowd. Like, would you? <laughs> would Holy you R- ever R- do that? But there is an energy in any
2: stadium. I've been in a ton of stadiums where I'm supposed to be neutral, and you can't help but feel the home crowd around you. Yeah. When the crowd is frenzied, NCAA tournament games are the are the biggest example of this. Mm-hmm. There is a feeling like when you're watching a 15 or a 16 seed play a one or a two, there's a feeling in the building where all of the fans suddenly start to get behind the, the, the team that is you know the big underdog and you can feel the energy. And as a media member, you're supposed to be impartial, but you can't help but look around. I've often wondered about the officials in, in moments like that. Yeah, how they don't get swept into the uh, hysteria and the you, you know the enthusiasm.
11: Well, and it's way more fun to to get swept into it to yeah, allow yourself totally. to go there. I mean, it's why like you know, people will make fun of me probably that uh, we, they'll say like, "Oh, you're just rooting for, you know, the leader." But I root for Oregon, and I root for Oregon State. Like, we've gone, I've taken the girls to Oregon events, and we wear, we wear green four. and yellow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we were tagging along with you. So, like, why not? As a kid that grew up in Oregon, in Portland, where, like, nobody knew who we were or where we were for so long. People just associated us with Seattle and had no idea. Portland was not on the map growing up. It makes me proud when the local teams go and are significant and being talked about nationally. So, yes, like if we're in Florida and they're playing in the Final Four, we're going to put on Ducks gear and root for them because it makes me proud. Yeah, and
2: then you throw on a beaver gear if the <laughs> Beavers are playing. People are going to look at you and be like, what a frontrunner. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. We're talking a little bit about Dan Landing and the Ducks. Dan Landing talked last night, Oregon football coach. He said, hey, it's on him. He said that uh, he's deserving of the criticism. He can take it. Yeah.
8: Um, well, I'd say this: like, if I knew none of them were going to work, you would change every situation, right? That's not the way those decisions work, right? The, you know, here's here's the hard part. You know, when you sit in this seat, um, when I make decisions, one, I, I'm a big boy. I can handle criticism, right? And that's going to come. That's that's and it's deserved. Uh, in this position, that's the way it works. Um, I trust our players. I trust our coaches, and we have opportunities to win games. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be aggressive uh, to win games.
2: Yeah, he's gonna be aggressive. Yeah, I don't know about calling yourself a big boy, but I thought everything else was really good. What he said, I think he owned it, and I think you know he didn't backpedal, which I think was the right position. Let's go to the phone line. Scott's in Portland. Scott, what'd you think?
0: Yeah, Sean, real, real simple, man. I don't have any qualms with you know landing whatever taking these taking these risks i just think on fourth and three from the 47 you you just punt the ball based on you know what the defense had done in the second half so, you know we didn't really you know show up in the first you know all that much but just completely turned around in the game right so um i, I just i think it's really just diff- again statistically speaking it's like they're not going to get one of that i mean that's the best you know scenario if you were told that the the Huskies were going to lose, or given the opportunity that they were going to lose based on three Oregon fourth down attempts to win the game and not right. do it, how
8: often are you taking that? Right? right. I mean, you,
2: you it, take that as a Duck fan. If I told you, hey, there's going to be four, three opportunities. It's going to be fourth down and three, or fourth down and five or less. And if you can convert one of them, you will win the game. Ninety percent of Duck fans are going. I will take that bet and I will skip into the uh, you know. Skip into next week. Sean is in Vancouver. Sean, what's on your mind?
12: Hey there, John. I hope you and your family are doing well. Um, so I'm, I'm an SEC apologist. I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, although it's, it's hard this year because as phenomenal as the Pac-12 is. Um, so I didn't have a dog in this hunt, right? I, what I saw was great football on both sides of the ball. So my question is there, this, and I kind of understand the topic today is Dan Lanning, but instead of saying how did Dan Lanning lose that game. Why are we saying that Kalen DeBoer won that game? You said he had 15 fewer plays or something like that, 20 fewer? So his team was more efficient, scored more points, and you know, in college football more than probably any major sport, coaching counts more, obviously. Look what you have around you, right? So his kids were ready to play, and they came out there, and they did it. At the end of the day, they had more points on the, the board. Dan Lanning's team lost. Kalen's one. So that guy needs to get a lot more credit than he's getting instead of, well, Dan Lanning lost this game. No. Kalen DeBoer and Washington won this game.
2: Yeah. Oregon ran 84 plays from scrimmage. Washington ran 61. Oregon outgained Washington uh, uh, total offensive yards, 541 to 415. And Oregon had 32 first downs to Washington's 24 first downs. Oregon rushed the ball 5.1 yards a carry to Washington's 4.3 yards per carry. Oregon beat Washington in every statistic except the score. You know, it's kind of like give Kalen DeBoer, give Michael Penix Jr. some credit while we're at it. The five at five's coming up, and a whole bunch more. Now I think I'm thinking I should get a luxury suite for like the Civil War football game and fill it up with a bunch of BFT listeners who are all really demonstrative, over the top fans. Put them all in the same place. It's one of those things where, like, I love meeting listeners of the show. And I love when you call into the show. But back in the day, we used to occasionally do events where we would say, Hey, if you're not doing something on a Wednesday, come ride the shuttle, and we'll drive over to, like, one of the uh, Native American casinos, one of the tribal casinos. And then it dawned on me is uh, the people who showed up to get on the uh, shuttle were probably not the same people you'd want to be trapped on a shuttle with driving over to a tribal casino on a weekday. I'm just saying. It's the bald-faced truth. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, it wasn't the crowd that, um, you know, like I'd like to handpick the lister, like the callers who call in, the listers, it's. Like, it was people who had nothing to do on a Wednesday, is what the shuttle should have been named.
4: Those are my people, though, going to the casino on a Wednesday. <laughs> Watch what you're you know? saying right now.
11: Yeah, you're throwing shade on Steven. Steven, people.
2: people were on that shuttle. Do you remember, uh, You remember like, the European vacation and uh, Uncle uh, Eddie yeah. was there? That's That's what you call an RV, Clark. <laughs> Uncle Eddie was on that shuttle yeah. that day. Yeah. A couple of times over.
12: <laughs> you know. They're
11: good people. John. They're, yeah, I'm not saying
2: they're bad people. Don't listen
11: to your show. I'm not saying
2: they're bad people <laughs> at all. But I was like, I want balance in your life. And I don't want you on a Wednesday to be on a shuttle with me <laughs> going to a, you know, a tribal casino because you got nothing to do, okay? When you're retired, that's fine. But you should have something to do on your Wednesday. I'm saying tomorrow, what you, what's going on, Stephen? What do you have to do tomorrow before the show, for uh, example?
4: For me, I got to wake up with the kids, get a uh, – I don't think I have to make the kids lunch tomorrow. I think it's a uh, Chicken Waffles Day, so it's uh, luckily a day for me I don't have to make a lunch. But I have to bring them to school, then bring the youngest to school, then uh, come into here and uh, get my job done.
2: Well, let's go to the Tribal Casino tomorrow. All right. Let's get, a, let's get on a shuttle, you and me.
4: That, that sounds not good to me. I AM. would, I would Instead love Instead to... of taking care
2: of your kids and working, you should go with me somewhere, and let's just blow off the day, like Ferris I mean,
4: Bueller. If that's the option, I would choose that. Can we? <laughs> that's you know, what
2: I'm saying. I'm
4: down.
2: I'm not saying there were bad people, Anna. Like, you know, maybe they're just playing hooky. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about it. We haven't done that in years and years and years and years and years and years. And I will, part of the but... reason is the first time we did it, I looked around, and I was like, this is not that like reflective of the audience of the show.
4: I'll, ad- says, "I'll admit, I've had have had a time in my life where me and my dad went to the casino midweek numerous times in a month. So these really <laughs> are my people. I mean, yeah, I, it's, yeah. Uh, I'm I got not, uh, I got nothing against these people, John. I, okay. I love these people."
2: All
11: right. Yeah. Yeah. And I love these people, too. And oh, I know guys. deep down in that cold
2: heart of yours, you you love every person who listens I, to this. No.
4: Show. I think I he, not appreciates saying it. That. he appreciates them, doesn't love them.
2: I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, every, all right, when you are doing TV, did you want to hang out with every single viewer? No, I didn't want to
11: hang out with any of them. Okay.
2: That, am I, I'm, we're saying this. I, I'm not even saying that. <laughs> Because I know a lot of listeners. I have a lot of listeners who call in regularly. Yeah. I have other listeners who will um, email me or message me. And I love hearing from them. And <laughs> I love the feedback. Like, during the show, I'll have people who say, how do you write me back during the show? What are you doing? Like, Or I'll have, like, I was talking today to my agent, Fred. He said I was watching the Oregon game, and I was going crazy. <laughs> and I was all I could do not to text you. I was like, you might as well. Everybody else was texting me during the end of the game. <laughs> Telling me what was going on. I I don't mind that. I did. Yeah. Steven was right there. Hey, by the way, right before Michael Penix Jr. threw the interception before half, five seconds before he
4: threw the interception, what did I text you? Uh he said pick coming here by Michael Penix. Then he threw a pick. Then he threw a pick. At the very next play. I mean, this is the second time in this season you've done that. I mean, literally right before he did it, you're like, "Here comes a pick." And then you text me after afterwards, like, "Told you, you could just tell he was push, he was uh, pressuring." He was, he was
2: pressing. It was right before half. They were deep in their own territory. I could just feel him, and I just, you know, it was one of those moments where he's going to make a mistake. The other time I said that, I called a pick six. That was happening in in the Oregon-Texas Tech game, if you remember that. It's the only two times this season, by the way. Don't think I text Stephen all game. Here comes a pick. Here comes a pick. It's the only two times I've done no, this.
4: It, 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 I can confirm. Two for two on that. Two
2: for two on calling interceptions on the very next play. Uncanny. Okay? That's that's why I'm sitting in the seat, Anna. Uh,
11: yeah. This is okay? a, this is a I conversation. I know some things. This is a conversation that guys have, like, at a bar. At no, but I just bar.
2: know some things. Should be
11: bellied up to a bar.
4: I know know,
2: sometimes you see it clear as day okay yeah all right let's do the five at five let's see if you brought five good stories or you brought trash onto the show today (laughs) here we go the five at five Hannah's number one story
11: this is for all the listeners that enjoy trashy stories uh Terrell Owens why is he always making news Uh, A man reportedly struck the Pro Football Hall of Famer in the knee with his car after the two got into an argument during a pickup basketball game in Calabasas, California. He ran him over? Like, got so upset, got in his car, and went for Terrell Owens and hit him in the knee. Uh, officers have fielded a report for assault with a deadly weapon. No arrests have been made yet. How
2: is T.O. doing? Is he in the hospital? He's all right. He didn't go to the hospital? He got hit by a car? Is this real or is this one of these, oh, no, this the, is a real the thing. guy was inching the car forward and T.O. did, like, a fake injury, let's stop the clock moment.
11: I'm just curious, because last year Owens punched a man who allegedly heckled him and harassed a 49ers fan that he's, was speaking with
2: him. He's volatile.
11: I'm getting that yeah. sense. Yes. He's volatile.
2: I, I covered the Niners at the time when he was on that team.
11: Yeah.
2: I liked him because he was interesting, never boring. But he could be volatile. You didn't know what you were going to get.
11: He was at the Oregon-Colorado I, game on I the stood sideline, right by I? him on
2: the sideline. I'd interviewed him dozens of times. He looked right at me. No recognition. <laughs> That's the role I played in his life.
11: I had friends taking pictures of him and sending pictures to me, going, "Look who's here!"
2: I think your friend had a crush on him.
11: I think she. I sent her the article today, and she said, "Oh,
2: is he okay?" My boyfriend. Oh wow! (laughs) Number two story. Let's see. Let's see if it gets better.
11: Mm, Better. Um, I think this is interesting. So you guys have been talking a lot about Michael Penix Jr. It's reflective of his mindset. Um, There's video out of him rapping uh, about a comeback just minutes before the touchdown that beat Oregon over the weekend. He's, he's literally on freestyle the Freestyle rapping yeah. on the sideline. Yeah, he's yeah. just like freestyle rapping, talking about the comeback they're going to make against the Ducks, This was in the final moments there in the, uh, in the game. And it was taken by wide receiver Jalen McMillan, which I think is kind of adorable.
2: This is one of these things where because it worked out, we say, oh, look at him. He was loose. He was calm. They were just having fun. This is a game. This is great. If he comes in and throws an interception, is it a different narrative? Are we saying he was distracted? He wasn't <laughs> focused. He wasn't well, taking course. it seriously. Yes. This is just. It, it kind of reminds me of the reaction to Dan Lanning not getting it on fourth down. Yeah. Because if Dan Lanning gets... A touchdown Or yeah. gets it at the end. Ooh, he went for it on fourth and three at midfield from the 47. He got the first down. People are saying, not saying he's dumb. Mm-hmm. They're not saying he's reckless. They're saying how bold that was. How, uh you know, he believed in his offense. And what a statement that was. I, I just find it interesting. I like that Penix is doing this. It, it's a reminder that these are kids still on the sideline. But I couldn't help but think as you were telling the story, mm-hmm. If he comes in and throws an interception, yeah. that the narrative is, oh, he was fooling around. He wasn't serious on the sideline. Look, he was over there rapping and playing around mm. when he should have been listening and talking to his coach and thinking about what he needed to do on the next series. Good point. Number good three, point. number three. Here we go. That was good, though.
11: Um. All right. Let's talk about J.J. Redick. He's been an interesting broadcaster of late. Um, he decided to go on the record and just rip ESPN, who, by the way, employs him, uh, about its NBA top 100 list. So, in particular, he was citing an example of how Derek White is not in the top 100, and he he literally calls it a troll for engagement. That's all it is. I think this kind of plain speak is what is... Uh, gaining JJ Reddick a lot of respect among players who are willing to go on his podcast and just
2: generally. He's telling the truth. Yeah. He's telling the truth. I like that he's telling the truth. Uh, I like that he's not sugarcoating it and buying the company line. How is that different from me saying the people who got on the shuttle were not the people that you'd want to be on the shuttle with? I don't know. <laughs> I got criticized for it. But this is good. JJ Reddick saying that. It's good. Of course, those lists are those things. Who's the greatest athlete of all time? Let's put a list out and put secretariat first. Like, that's ridiculous. That's designed to generate and cause engagement, and it's not real. Babe Ruth, Jim Thorpe, Michael Jordan, discuss who's the greatest of all time. These top 100 lists are interesting not because they really include the top 100 players, but because they stimulate discussion and engagement. Who's better, LeBron or Michael Jordan? Who cares? Why do we have to determine that? Who cares that there's a list of 100 players? Why is that important? Portland has 5 of the top 100 players. Big whoop. They're going to win 28 games next season. You know, it 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 doesn't mean anything. I like the JJ saying that. Number 4. Speaking of LeBron,
11: uh Michael Cooper is ripping on LeBron for eating on the bench during the team's preseason game it's
2: pre-season, isn't it?
11: against the Warriors. Well, I just want to know what you think about this. So he played in the first half of the game and then showed back up in street clothes uh, at the end of the bench in the second half as his team, uh, you know, was playing the Warriors. we got to what, decide what's
2: okay and what? what's not. Yeah, like, we you can freestyle rap, but you can't eat a chicken finger, <laughs> you know? <laughs>
11: I don't have a problem with it, but I guess uh, uh, Cooper didn't like it. He said, you know, he's sitting over there. I don't mind the guy eating, but go eat in the locker room, and then when you come out and be part of the team, don't just sit at the end of the bench. Isn't
4: it a little disrespectful to those teammates?
11: I kind of thought it was.
4: I think it's really disrespectful. Yeah. It's
2: preseason, guys.
11: (laughs) That's sweet. That's the delineating factor
2: If he was life. eating in the regular season. But what's he eating, too? Because in my mind, it was chicken fingers. He's <laughs>
4: dipping it in ranch. He's got a big Three slice of pizza play. he's just going after. Does
2: he have a bib on? <laughs> Nachos. <laughs> Does he have a bib? Does he have, like, a cutting board in front of him? He's eating a steak. I don't know. I need to know more here. Does it matter? It yeah. matters? It matters what, what he's eating. he's eating? Is he eating popcorn? Or is he having, like, a, a meal? <laughs> jerry you know is he eating one of those giant turkey drumsticks from uh like disney maybe he traded his suit to another player on the team and he got a meal in exchange for it you know, i don't know i don't know it looks pretty normal it looks like it might be like chicken and rice
11: he's eating it with a fork oh, he's so eating with not, a fork it's not highly distracted he got a
2: bowl is it a bowl
11: it's like a plastic container
2: it's a plastic container like from home is he like lebron brings his lunch he brought leftovers. Are we finding out? <laughs> we're learning today. LeBron James has brought his lunch to work. He packs his own lunch. Wasn't chicken and waffles days at his house, was it, Stephen?
4: Oh he's got a hard hat on, you know? <laughs> hard work.
2: <laughs> um, I was at a Blazer game years and years ago on the road. Okay, I was in Memphis, and the Blazers were playing. And Darius Miles and Zach Randolph were in the locker room. And it was maybe 20, 30 minutes before the tip-off. Okay. And Zebo was eating chicken fingers at his locker. Yeah. And I was looking at him like, you got to play a game. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? And then, you know, he's like, I'm hungry. Yeah. And he had sent like the clubhouse attendant up Uh to the main concourse to get some concessions. He's fueling up. He was just carbo loading or whatever. Protein. No, there's protein protein in there. uh, There's some breading. (laughs) But I just thought it was the weirdest thing, and now LeBron eating on the bench, I don't know. Why is it disrespectful, Steven? Are you having something to eat right
4: now? Yeah, no. um, No, it's just uh, – he's just – there's a time and place to eat, right? Like, you shouldn't be eating on the bench. You need to just be at least pretending like you're paying attention to the players on the team, like you care about the team. When you're eating, you're not focused at all on what is going on in the game. No one else eats when they're on the bench. Only LeBron does because he's LeBron. I just – I don't know. I, I feel like it's just very disrespectful that he's showing to, that he cares nothing about his teammates.
2: Does it matter what kind of food? If it's popcorn, <coughs> he's just eating out of a bag of popcorn, watching the game. He's that's not okay. Doesn't matter. No,
4: I feel like there's t- it's time and place.
2: You can drink Gatorade, but you can't eat. Yes. You can chew gum?
4: Yeah. But you can't eat. Can't eat. Not How about ba- sunflower seeds at a baseball game? Baseball's Is it disrespectful
2: different. if Bryce Harper's eating sunflower seeds in the dugout?
4: No, I no. It's different sports, different sporting events. I think it's okay to eat a snack when you're golfing or you know you're playing baseball, even football probably, but basketball. Uh, there's no garbage can around. I just I don't know. There's, it's just something different about it.
2: Okay, I disagree. I think I think LeBron plays by different rules, and I think the NBA. There's all kinds of different rules for different people. If Scoot Henderson's doing it, might raise some eyebrows, but LeBron. I think LeBron can do what LeBron wants to do.
11: I'm really hungry now. Number five. Uh, South Carolina's... And I want some chicken fingers. South Carolina's Shane Beamer suffers a broken foot, lashing out after a loss to Florida. So this is the Gamecocks coach, Shane Beamer. He told the media today that after the loss, he, quote, kicked something he shouldn't have kicked. And ended up breaking his foot. What did he kick? That's what's not being reported. And it makes me want to know badly what he kicked. It makes me think it was like a toilet or something. You know, something you wouldn't want to talk about.
2: But I I want to know that he didn't kick, like, a player. Didn't kick (laughs) a helmet in the locker room. You know, like somebody's helmet was laying on the ground. Like, it, it matters to me if he turned... As a grown man and he kicked the wall yeah. or a water cooler, it, I think it's different than had he walked in and somebody's helmet's there and he kicks it across the locker room or you know, or he kicks an equipment bag in the middle of the front of his players. Did If he kicked a toilet, That's I think that's better. Yeah. You know?
11: I think he should clarify it because it just makes me – it just is a glaring omission in that statement. This
2: uh, 5 at 5 is should be retitled – Five mysteries. What was LeBron eating? (laughs) What did Beamer kick?
11: I gave you more questions than answers in this 5 at 5. You're welcome.
2: I like it. was entertaining. It was really entertaining. Bruce Barnum is coming up. I'm going to ask the Portland State football coach a couple questions. By the way, Bruce Barnum goes to Northern Arizona, and i got to say, Northern Arizona had beat three ranked teams, including Sacramento State and Portland State kicked their ass in Flagstaff. And then Bruce Barnum jumped on a chartered flight and flew on home. Is he now going to fly chartered every week? No more buses for Portland State? Is that the secret? Like you get your guys, hey, guys, we're chartering in, we're chartering out. This was a big expenditure for Portland State. And by the way, they make money playing games against Oregon, Washington, Washington State, Arizona in different years and they spend a little bit of that money on themselves, but most of the money goes to subsidize the rest of the athletic department and other programs that can that can exist because Portland State's getting their brains beat in 81-7 to against Oregon. Uh, but Bruce Barnum has a problem. He needs a football stadium. Is there any progress on getting a football stadium? We'll talk about this week's game. I'll ask him if he's ever kicked anything. I'll ask him about going for it on fourth down. What do you think of Dan Lennon going for it on fourth down? No coach in America is going to speak on this. Okay. Like Jake Dicker earlier, he was like, Hey, you know, I understand we go for it on fourth down, two, You know, and he talked about it himself. I, I kind of suspect Bruce Barnum will tell us what goes into those decisions as a coach and how, like on the sideline, is he thinking on fourth and three, is this a bad, like a reckless decision or a, is this a vote of confidence in my guys? Bruce Barnum coming up is going to speak to all of that, plus the over-under. Steven, you're going to set the line. How many foul words will Bruce Barnum say in the uh, interview?
4: Well, Coming off a big win, I think he's excited. I think he's more aware. I'm going to go three and a half today.
2: Three and a half. <laughs> Are you over or under on the profanity line for Portland State's coach? And you know it's profane if you hear a extended bleep that uh, Steven is probably dumping some sound out. But Bruce Barnum's coming up. Portland State coach, he joins us every week. Well, Portland State came to play last weekend. Big win. His quarterback, uh, Vikings quarterback, Dante Sachere. Sachere, Six touchdowns, five of them passing. 45-21. Portland State beat Northern Arizona. Uh, here to talk about it, Bruce Barnum, football coach, Portland State. I have so many questions from, for Bruce Barnum. Can you punch him up, Stephen? Bruce Barnum joining us now. And he's gone. There it is. I'm, I'm right oh, here. Oh, he's back. He's back. There you go. How are you doing? What, what the hell's going on? What, what was that? I don't know. That's what we do nice. after a big win. We bring nice. you on, pretend to hang up on you, but don't. That's uh, right. That?
9: How, how did that 20 feel? How other people do that? Oh, that's great. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Uh, uh, fun to watch the team. The the guys, you know, they played hard. They all phases. We made mistakes. You know, we had to, uh, you know, weather the storm. You play on the road, you you know, your underdog back up. Weather that storm. Let them score, and then, you know, uh, we did it. Um, all phases. So it was fun. We boat raced them.
2: Sacheray comes in, 14 of 19, five touchdown passes, uh, rushes 12 times for 83 yards and a touchdown, six scores on the day for him. Did you anticipate it would be that kind of game for him?
9: Um, I thought it could be, you know. Um, Playing there, I think playing anywhere on the road is hard. They have a dome. I think it's kind of dark, you know, inside there. It's different. I think you can, you know, get swallowed up sometimes, momentum-wise, if you lose it. But uh, if we didn't do that, we took care of the football. I thought we could. We won the turnover battle by two. Um, That helps, you know. Um, We tilted the field a little bit. Uh, He had the ball, kept him off the field. Able to run the ball on him. We wanted to be able to run the ball, run the win. We did that. So, ready to go. I mean, that's a a big win for the
2: Bikes. Big win. You guys uh you're as a head coach you had not won at northern arizona and as an assistant coach you had not won at at northern arizona either at idaho state portland state you'd never won a game there yeah but it, c-
9: c- come on c- I, It sounds like i play there you're talking you know like i'm a, every other year been there for 20 years i've probably played five times in that venue okay. oh for five you know
2: uh, Still, you one, broke one through. For six. I'm not criticizing you. I'm one saying for you're six. one and zero this year.
9: How about yes. that? Yes, that's all how we're looking that? for. One and zero. The how past is, it, is the past.
2: How do, How are you? Like it, You know, you you show up and you've played in games there before, but you. How do you prepare your guys for playing in that building? Given that it's dark in there, given the different surface, it's a different place.
9: Well, I I went from experience because. Excuse me, we tried, you know, different things prior to that, you know, when we went there uh, and not come away with the dub. So I stayed at a hotel we stayed at the year we almost beat them. That's number one.
3: Okay.
9: Um, uh, I had grits, which never had grits there before, you know. <laughs> I didn't talk to the, uh, I, I didn't let. I, di- I didn't say, hey, we're playing at elevation. You know, make sure we have oxygen. You know, make sure you see the place. Um, you know, it's a tough place to play. You know, it's all in a presentation. I said, Oh, half team will travel. Let's go boat race. These guys, you know, and, and it worked out. So we just treated it like another another place, another Mike, opportunity.
2: Yeah. Your defensive back Michael Jackson had an interception late that iced the game he's one of my favorite people great kid uh and he's worked every summer at camp exceptional so nice to see his name but what does it give you when you got a guy like that back there in the secondary for you who can really play
9: well the entire back end is doing well you know uh we had a couple picks and um his was huge you know it was kind of a it was kind of at that point, it did ice the game. We went out and, you know, kneeled it out. And actually, right before that, they scored, so we were only up two scores. Oh, I don't know if, if there's time left on the clock, and they smashed our punter, so we got the ball back. At that point is when I kind of said, all right, uh, uh, we, we won at the walk-up skydome. Uh, ready to go. But, I, you know, it was, it was great yeah. to see him do that.
2: You had a fourth down and goal at the one-yard line, Mm -hmm. where you you could have kicked a field goal. You already had a lead, but you decide to go for it. Now, I'm going to ask you this because Dan Lanning had three fourth downs against Washington. He went 0 for 3 on fourth down. It cost him the game. Do Do you make some of those fourth and goal decisions days before the game? Hey, if I get in that situation, here's what I'm doing. Or is it more of a feel-on-the-game-in-the-moment thing?
4: Uh,
9: I would say oh, you got to look at that one, like a 69 sixty-nine, thirty-one percentage against each other. You prepare for it, but momentum does matter, you know. We were up. I had a play, and I had a person. I was going to put the ball in his hands. I knew... What we were, I I, I kind of had everything pictured. I could have slammed the timeout because you can call timeouts anytime now. I could have slammed the timeout if they weren't in what I thought they were going to be in. They were. We still, <laughs> but you know Murphy's law. We still had a guy go the wrong way. Um, so they had a guy come free, but the guy with the ball in his hands, you know, I knew that he would be able. Uh, to take care of mistakes. So, you know, uh, but again, hindsight 2020, if we don't get it there, you know, we lose the game, everybody's like, oh, Barnum, you know, went 4 down, could have kicked the hill goal. What, a, what, a, what an idiot. But, now it worked out. Uh, but there's a lot of planning that goes into that, I think, more than emotion, John.
2: Yeah, I, like Oregon's playing against Washington. Washington's got Michael Penix Jr. early in the game, you know, right before half, Oregon goes for it on fourth and goal, doesn't get it. But I'm in the press box, going. He knows he's got to get sevens because Penix is on the other side, uh, other sideline. How much does that kind of stuff play into your mindset when you are making decisions?
9: A lot, because uh, field goals don't field goals don't win games. They don't win championships. If you want to win, you have to score touchdowns. Um, I learned that when we were average, you know. Um, because I think we we have a decent team now. Um, no, field goals aren't going to cut it. You know, you get three, they get seven, then you like, well, everybody else counts. I count on my fingers to see how many were down. That becomes a mess. You know, then you... So, um, no, it comes into play. If you want to win championships, you have to score touchdowns.
2: Bruce Barnum with us, Portland State football coach. Obviously, this week, a big opportunity for your fans, to show up as you will have a home football game uh, on Saturday against Idaho State at Hillsborough Stadium, 1 o'clock kickoff, tickets at govikes.com. Uh, what do you see on film when you look at Idaho State?
9: Well, I'm actually looking at it right now. You can, I can push this button that keeps it playing, and my computer won't turn off, so I'm looking at two screens. Um Offense and defense, they're playing well, you know. Um, They just upset number 22 in the country. They beat a ranked team. We haven't done that, so we're probably the underdog again, I'm sure. But um, they play hard. They, uh, Their offense, um, they're chuck and duck. You know, they throw about 95% of the time, so. Um, you know, prepare for that. We haven't really, th- we haven't seen a team like that. And people call it air raid, or I don't know. There's all kinds of names for it. Uh, they throw the ball all the time. That's what I call it. So, um, prepare for that. It's a little different, you know, uh, on the defensive side of the football. So, um, uh, the quality football team, any con in this conference, I don't, I don't care if you're the, you- you're. At the bottom of the bucket, are you number one? You better show up on Saturday, especially on the road. I, I like being at home. You know, I hope people come out. You know, to watch this group. i uh, I'm, uh, they're fun to watch. You know, so um, it, it's going to be a hell of a football game.
2: You're undefeated at home this season. You get Idaho State, Eastern Washington, in consecutive weeks both games are 1 p.m. kickoffs both can be seen on ESPN Plus but yeah you need people to show up in Hillsboro I don't want to bring you down here but I think you know I get I keep getting asked about the stadium I had a reader in Monday's Mailbag ask me how does Bruce Barnum do it how does he recruit kids without having a home stadium on his campus or near his campus what do you say to people when they say that
9: Well not going first off you know don't say we're on the feet on the road you don't want to mojo it but we are we are at home i mean oh, i'm yeah. Yeah, at home um uh not gonna like i do that again um <laughs> it's all in the presentation you know it's all yeah. in the presentation don't yeah i don't have a stadium but i have other things you know i got a great staff i got a great football team you know we have a venue they see this this arena, our basketball arena and our weight room, I I push for a lot of money in our weight room, you know, so it looks, I compare it to anybody in the conference, so sell what you have, sell your people, you know, and uh, find your market, you know, uh, there's thousands of kids out there that want to play, you know, college football, Uh, you can't take them all, Uh, so they're out there, I mean, you have to search and that, but Um, but my staff, kudos to my staff, they do a a nice job, they they know all the electronic stuff, you know, I told you, we've talked a little bit, they can track somebody in two minutes, you know, so, it's a lot of work, but my staff does a nice job.
2: You know, I noticed Oregon, Oregon State, they've got GPS trackers on the players, do you guys have that?
9: You know, (laughs) they have that, how about that? I was out there today, true story. I'm out there, today. there's my strength coach, and he's got the bag, right? He's got this bag, and he goes, all, he's all worked up. And he's got a mustache like that guy that uh, used failed. to be in Oregon.
12: Yeah,
2: Feld, Aaron Feld, yeah.
9: Run up and down his side like he's the field Knight's son. But we have those. <laughs> and what happens is they, come, they have these vests, and they put this little GPS thing in the back of them. Now, Oregon probably has them for everybody, right? They they probably have them for every team. Yeah, You know, the AD, and I mean, Phil's probably, he wants to track everybody in that organization. But I don't have it. Mean, I think I have, I forget how many I bought. We do have them. Um, and again, it's all in the presentation because, you know, you get 10, you know, and then you got little Johnny over there. Why didn't, why didn't I get one? I said, well, you know, you're not really playing right now. You know? We'll get you on. Um, (laughs) But we do have them, and they give a bunch of data on how long, how many miles they ran during the practice, how many times they ran really fast, you know? Uh, So uh, I look at it and (laughs) act like I know what I'm looking at. Okay, we'll cut practice down five minutes today.
2: Well, what are you looking for there? Are you looking... Because... You You
9: don't want to wear people out. Okay. That's what I get out of it, because it, it's easy to do if you don't have, say, a, a big receiving core. You know, you don't want that group running too much during the week, so then they get the game day, and their legs are dead, you know what I mean? There are... So that's what I get out of it. They get other stuff out. They get how many... You know, times their heartbeats beats and, you know, a minute span. after, And then when they're in the huddle, how many times they take a breath. I'm not sure what that stuff's for, you know. But what I get out of it is what are our – I don't want to wear out my people.
2: That's interesting. So, I noticed it first uh, when Oregon State was playing at Cal a couple of weeks ago. After the game, the equipment guy was going around, and he was pulling these tags yeah. out of the back of the shoulder yeah. pads and i was yeah. like what are they doing and and then i thought well, I started, oh
9: they're hunting they're hunting uh snakes anacondas or those big old snakes down right now in the swamp with them too i heard they're putting them on the possums and the rats and they get eaten they go to the gps they get the snake and they how, <laughs> i was like that job getting that gps oh clean those up what you Bill? you uh, know uh, so so they
2: They put them on the possum, and then the possum gets eaten by an anaconda. Correct. And then they just track the GPS and kill the snake.
9: Exactly, because they have infestations of the big snakes down there. They're trying to get rid of some. So, but how about that for a job? You know, I I would think,
2: I would think if you put those vests on your players that there would be a little accountability. If I'm wearing one, I know I can't dog it during practice. Like I know I got to be running fast.
9: They strut, you know. They're 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 out there like, you know, uh, foghorn, leghorn, you know, when they're going because they got the vest. And what I notice about them is they take their shirts off more. You know, they'll take their pads off immediately. You know, oh, I'm a vest guy. <laughs> you know, so you know, it's all right. They're enjoying them. If it makes them play harder, let's do it.
2: Bruce Barnum with us, Portland State coach. Uh, his team will be playing Saturday at Hillsboro Stadium against Idaho State. They are on a win streak trying to defend their home field, knocking on wood where they are undefeated this season, knocking on wood again. Bruce Barnum's not going to buy you a beer on Saturday, but he's going to put a good product on the field. If you want to see a football game, take your kids to a football game, Hillsborough Stadium, 1 o'clock Saturday. You can get your seats and your tickets at GoVikes.com. Bruce Barnum, thank you. Keep it going. We'll talk to you next week. All
9: right. Thanks for having us, John. I'll talk to you.
2: There he goes. What did we get, Stephen, it
4: go over or under on the dump button? It went under for me. Uh, way under. I heard two. I heard two. That's what I had. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I should have okay. made it two and a half, I guess.
2: I, but he had one early, and so I thought, "Ooh, he's going over."
4: It was about halfway through the interview, and he had him. I feel like both were in. I thought, "Oh man, this, is, this could this could fly over." But he, uh, you know, nice comeback in the second half. It was
2: kind of like last night uh, on the uh, on the app we were talking about yesterday on the show, the underdog fantasy uh, lineup that we put together last night. I had taken Dak Prescott at under 22 completions. He was at 21 completions when he threw that last pass towards the end zone right before they kicked the field goal. And I thought, here it goes. He's going over. And it's kind of like Bruce Barnum with uh, the profanity. He had two early, and I thought, oh, it's going over. Uh, they will be playing on Saturday again at Hillsborough Stadium at 1 o'clock. I've been out to Hillsborough Stadium for games. If it, It's a great, like, I'm gonna, I'm going to say something, and I'm sure some people will be offended, but I don't care. If you have a young football fan in your household or somebody who is playing youth sports and you want to take your young athlete, your family out to a game and buy tickets and see a game very affordably and see a college football game, you can get in if you have a group for 10 bucks, $15 seats, $13.50 if you're a student, general public in at $15 and go see a football game under the covered seating sections at Hillsborough Stadium and support this team and this product. And is a great I, like I was going to say it's a it's a great place to, if you have a starter fan in your household or hell any fan at all. Cuz if you go to um if you go to Autzen Stadium on Saturday or if you go see a game in Corvallis, it becomes very easy For the price of tickets, the price of, you know, the emotional and the investment in driving uh, an hour and a half, two hours through traffic and finding a parking space, it can become a prohibitive event. So if you want to just go see a good college football game and a good team that's playing really well right now and a team that I think is going to win this weekend, I think Portland State's going to beat Idaho State at Hillsborough Stadium, uh, go check it out and uh, grab yourself some tickets and go root for the Vikings. I want you to leave it here. I love that interview with Bruce Barnum. We have him on every Tuesday in that segment, uh, Portland State football coach. Uh, thanks to Jake Dickert, Washington State coach, who joined us also earlier in the show today. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State, will be on tomorrow's show. He'll join us uh, tomorrow in the 5 o'clock hour. So want you here hear from that right in this uh, window just about. Uh, Bruce Barnum, asked. I asked him about, you know, uh, Dan Landing's decision, more or less, uh, to kick uh, field goals or to go for it on fourth down. Bruce Barnum went for it on fourth down in his game against uh, against Northern Arizona last week. Here's what Barnum said when I asked him, uh, you know, does it matter when you got a Michael Penix Jr. on the other sideline when you're making those
9: not Field goals don't win games. They don't win championships. If you want to win, you have to score touchdowns. Um, I learned that when we were average, you know. Um, because I think we're we have a decent team now. Um, no field goals aren't going to cut it. You know, you get three, they get seven, then you like well everybody else counts. I count on my fingers to see how many were down. That becomes a mess. You know, then you have to you run out of hands. You can't hold your chart because you get down eight and it's a show. So, um, no, it comes into play. If you want to win championships, you have to score touchdowns.
2: Bruce Barnum. Portland State coach. would you? Does that change the thinking of anybody when it comes to Dan Lanning? I don't know if it's going to change because I kind of think people have their minds made up. But it was interesting for me to hear what he had to say there. Uh, Steven, what do you make of that?
4: Yeah, no, I, I love the quote. I don't, I'm with you. I don't know if that it changes people's mindset on it, but I think in general, I think he's right, especially in the college game. I think the NFL game is is different. Um, there's more scoring in the college game, so I think touchdowns don't necessarily Win games, especially against these high-powered offenses. Like you go up against Michael Penix Jr. or Bo Nix, you can't get getting field goals because that offense is too good on the other side. So I think if you ultimately want to win the big games, you got to get touchdowns. You got to be good in the red zone. And we see what happens, you know, with these teams that are average or you know even above average. Maybe they're just not good in the red zone, and that's where they struggle. They end up getting you know three points instead of seven. I I think it's a great mindset to have, and you can always adjust back, right? Like I feel like it's hard to go from being not aggressive to aggressive, where if you start out aggressive, it's easier to you know reel it back in and say, you know what, okay, we're going to hold back a little bit. Now we'll kick a field goal, or now we'll punt on this fourth down. I think it's easier to go with that transition than it is to go from not aggressive to all of a sudden, hey, we're going to be aggressive, because it's a mindset for those players. Like, those players know, hey, we're going for it. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to go for our fourth down. We're going for touchdowns. And then if coach says, no, 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 let's pull it back. Let's get a field goal out of this one, I think it's easier for them to adjust to that.
2: I also think... That um, that you have, you know, a, a Bruce Barnum and a Dan Lanning coaching at different levels, both football coaches. But there's kind of an understanding of what, you know, you go through. I find it interesting that Barnum, as he's going to northern Arizona where he hasn't had any success, is focused on, hey, I need to uh, go in there and we need to stay at the same hotel we stayed at last time when we played this game kind of close. And I know when it comes to the major college football programs, they aren't thinking in those terms because they travel the best. They're always focused on staying in the the best, most conducive place. I've talked to the um, director of operations at Oregon, Oregon State, and some other schools about you know how they decide where they're going to stay, you know what they end up um, thinking about, and and how they end up treating those situations when they. Go into hotels. The pandemic was especially troubling because they were focused on getting hotels that had certain ventilation systems because they wanted ventilation. They thought that was going to keep players from contracting COVID. And, you know, they were worried about a whole nother set of problems that they never had to think about before the but the pandemic. So I just think it's interesting to kind of get the mindset of a coach in that scenario. And Bruce Barnum certainly has been there, has had to make calls I don't know that it's any easier. I want to say that you know the the ratings for the Oregon Washington game came out, and for people who don't know, you know you had a huge TV audience that tuned into the Oregon Washington game. Do you think it's easier for Bruce Barnum to go on fourth down, Stephen?
4: Um. Yes, I do. Um. And I think I think that's kind of proven with Brandon Staley, a great example in the NFL. When he first was the Chargers coach, he was going for it on fourth down all the time. And then he had a couple where it didn't work out, and now he's gotten ultra non-aggressive, and he'll be punting a lot you know, on, on situations where he used to go for it. And it's because more people are watching. More people are more aware of it. So, yeah, I think, I think you're onto something with that. I don't know because, you know, Oregon-Washington, the
2: ratings came out. There's 7 million people watching that football game on ABC Saturday. Biggest TV audience, most viewers for any college football game that day. USC-Notre Dame came in second at $6.43 Different time slots, but still, more people were watching Oregon-Washington play than any other college football game of the weekend. And Dan Lanning had to make decisions with that scrutiny. Bruce Barnum's playing a game in Flagstaff, Arizona, inside a dome that most of you haven't heard about, in the Big Sky Conference, and had a fourth down situation where he had to make a decision as well. And... Both of those decisions are going to affect the outcome of the game, but Dan Lanning's getting paid a whole bunch more money, has a whole bunch more people looking at him. Would you make the same decision in the Big Sky Conference that you'd make at at Oregon when you're playing at Washington? I would hope so. You would stay true to your principles, but I don't think you really know until you're in that
4: situation. Totally agree, and you know, because we're all emotional, right? Like we we're all just regular human beings, and so we have emotions in our body. And I I think for landing, I like the fact that he's staying consistent and he's not getting emotional with the game and saying, you know what, I'm going to punt this one because I'm afraid of what's going to be said after the game. He goes, no, this is what my mentality is. All right, I'm going for it.
2: I want to apply this logic to you specifically to you, Stephen. Yeah, you're in the casino at a blackjack table, and you're playing a five dollar hand of blackjack. And the dealer's got a uh, five showing, and you have a, uh, a, a you know let's say the dealer's got a seven or eight showing, an mm-hmm. eight showing, and you have a you have a three. Okay, you know you got to hit that, right? Right. But let's just say if you're in a different situation, which it's a tough hand where you're maybe a little more conflicted, and you know the dealer's got a uh, a six, and you have a six. And it's a $1,000 hand.
4: Are you hitting it? I am always going to play where if the dealer is a 7, 8, 9, 10, I have a 16, I'm hitting, and I will always stay when I'm supposed to stay. I, I stay the same. No
2: matter the hand? What if it's a $10,000 hand? No matter the hand. Well, i like to see you in that situation. Me too.